With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. free speech to free minds you're listening to the david knight show as the clock strikes 13 it's friday the 25th of february year of our lord 2022 day 715 of the emergency. And they just keep the emergencies coming, don't they? Well, you know, now they're beating the drums for war, and we're going to take a look at the absurdity and the tragedy of this uh, new war in Ukraine. Hopefully we will not have this expand any farther. And yet, from all indications, uh, it was uh, the push, the wag the dog push, that pushed all this in. And we're going to take a look at some amazing new details that have come from a German insurance company. I talked about this earlier in the week, but we're going to take a look at the details about the massive number of injuries to vaccinated people. This may be blowing wide open. We'll be right back. Stay with us. appears that uh, Putin's forces went straight for Ukraine's weapons of mass destruction. It was first reported that they took over Chernobyl. <laughs> I guess they met with no resistance when they went into Chernobyl. Uh, but of course, it did take by surprise a, a guy who was, and of course, we all know Chernobyl, uh, the most famous of all the nuclear accidents, the one that has done the most damage. As the Washington Examiner reports, the Russian military forces have captured the infamous Chernobyl nuclear power plant as Ukraine's president issued a warning that the Russians were attempting to seize control of the power plant. Zelensky tweeted, Russian occupying forces were trying to seize control of the nuclear plant, adding, this is a declaration of war against the whole of Europe. 
Yes, if you are going to go in and take seize control of the worst nuclear accident we've ever had, uh, that is uh, cannot be allowed to stand. Remember, Zelensky, the guy who's the current president of Ukraine, was a comedian before. I don't know if he said this with a gleam in his eye or what. But yeah, we're going to go over war. I go to war over who controls uh, Chernobyl. So uh, it, it even gets more ridiculous when you take a look at this tweet from a person who is now a talking head on MSNBC. His name is Malcolm Nance. And uh, this guy is a lot funnier than the comedian president of Ukraine. Uh, somebody saw this and said, what would Putin want with Chernobyl? Which is what we were all asking. <laughs> and he replied and said, it powers North, central North Ukraine. <laughs> now, if you look at his uh, bio there, look at what this guy's background is. Uh, he is in uh, U.S. intelligence for 36 years. He's an expert, an expert at terrorism, at extremist ideology, at torture. Oh, yeah, he probably had some uh, dealings with Gina Haspel over 35 years, if he's putting torture on his resume. He is a Russian cyber expert, a best-selling author, and a Navy senior chief. And he's got about a million people following him. <laughs> this is why you cannot listen to experts. <laughs> and this is one of the reasons why we have been either sleepwalking or lied into one war after the other, because we've got people like this, 36 years in U.S. intelligence, an expert at all these different things. Uh, no, he's an expert at uh, cheating, stealing, and lying. It, they have classes on that. And then after you graduate, you get to go to MSNBC if you have enough expertise at it. And these are the types of people like Gina Haspel, who have been torturing not only individuals, but torturing the truth, twisting the facts until they're absolutely unrecognizable. So why would Putin want Chernobyl? Well, because it powers north-central Ukraine, says our intelligence experts. And then this is the Ukrainian ambassador as he gears up for war in Japan. There he is. He's all masked up to protect. He's got a cloth mask on to protect himself from COVID, and then he has a full <laughs> samurai suit to protect him from the Russians. Uh, <laughs> we know what we're fighting for. <clears throat> well, he may know what he's fighting for, but he doesn't have, <laughs> he's totally clueless on everything else. Talking about his samurai armor, he said, I borrowed it when I came to Japan from an old friend who is a samurai artist. When I was in Ukraine, I'd seen works uh, like the movie, The Last Samurai. So he's an expert on Japanese culture. <laughs> he watched The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise. Uh, I admired Samurai and Ronin. Now, I wonder if he watched the, uh, <laughs> if he watched Ronin too, and if he, if he thinks the Samurais drove cars really fast through the streets of New York. Anyway, um, he said uh, the armor was heavier than I imagined, and it was difficult to move. Hmm. I guess we could say the same thing about the... Uh, the Russian army. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Britain's defense secretary, a guy named Ben Wallace. I started looking at the news yesterday and see all this stuff. Ben Wallace says, uh, Putin has gone full tonto 
Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the first one is that weeaboo. What weeaboo? What is that? <clears throat> what, weeaboo is a slightly derogatory term for an American who's obsessed with Japanese culture. Oh, okay. It's I been shortened it to weeb to in the current generation. <laughs> okay, I got you. People so that are uh, usually unhealthily obsessed with anime. Yeah, and might yeah. have a large correct uh, collection of terrible Japanese knockoff swords. Yeah, maybe that that would apply to a Ukrainian ambassador who seems to be obsessed with uh, swords and armor in Japan. I'm sure the Russians are shaking in their boots. Yeah, that's right. So we have uh, Britain's defense secretary. He he came up with the perfect insult, and I saw this echoed everywhere. You know, like oh, I don't know how many years ago it was now, but. At some point in time, some talking head said about some politician, oh, he's got gravitas. And all of a sudden, everybody is using that word. It became the word of the week. It's like an echo chamber. And everybody's using the word gravitas, which you'd never heard before. And, and so now everybody is uh, quoting this Britain defense secretary saying that uh, Putin has gone full tanto. I thought, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> and, and what it is a reference to, I had to look it up. It's a reference to uh, the Lone Ranger. And I guess the idea that, uh, you know, uh, supposedly Tonto is clueless. I, I never thought, I used to watch the Lone Ranger. I was, um, uh, I, I really enjoyed the uh, theme song more than I did the rest of the show. Even as a kid, it was kind of stiff and cardboard. And, of course, you know, the Tonto was stiff and cardboard and kind of dense, but then so was the Lone Ranger himself. I mean, <laughs> uh, I remember the cartoon uh, where <laughs> it shows an old retired Lone Ranger, and <clears throat> he's he's <laughs> got a book in, in front of him. Gary Larson did it. And, uh, and he's got this astonished look on his face, and it says, Lone Ranger finally realizes what Kimosabi means. <laughs> <laughs> that was what Tonto said. Oh, there you go. You found it. Good. Yeah, Travis knows. We've laughed about that cartoon many times. Uh, <laughs> long since retired, makes an unpleasant discovery with the uh, Indian dictionary in his lap. <laughs> Kimosabi. Uh, a, a, an Apache expression for horse's rear end. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, Ben Wallace is trying to use Tonto to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to insult Putin, uh, assuming that, uh, you know, this this guy is, uh, and again, I never saw it that way. I just thought, you know, Tonto, yeah, he's great. They're, they're pals, they're, they're buddies, he's very loyal. But uh, put that music back on, you know. <laughs> I really liked uh, uh, the Rossini stuff. Just like I used to, I got hooked on news when I was very young because of the opening theme song of the Huntley Brinkley uh, news broadcast, second movement of Beethoven's Ninth. Uh, <laughs> that was so awesome. I'd sat there in front of the television. I didn't. I thought that was their their music. I didn't. <laughs> they'd stolen it from Beethoven. Anyway, um, calling it deeply, deeply worrying for any Russian troops. He suggested that, um, uh, he says, I was a soldier, and I knew that my generals had so little faith in me that they, if they followed me around the battlefield with a mobile crematorium, uh, or if I was a mother or a father or a son, I'd be very concerned about that. So, you know, besides saying he's gone full tanto, he, he's saying they've got mobile crematoriums. 
uh, I, is this for real? I, I don't know. I mean, you know, we've seen stuff like the mobile Army field hospital to take care of all the COVID casualties in New York. Uh, that was window dressing. I don't know if this is window dressing. Is it a PSYOP? Is it a PSYOP from Putin? Is it a PSYOP from the UK to put this in here? I would just say this. If the mobile crematorium, if this thing were real, and they're taking this thing out and saying, yeah, you know, we don't want to really bother to haul you back. Um, the, the, the soldiers don't really care at that point, right? I mean, maybe people like Ben Wallace care to get the bodies back as a minister of defense. He can show up and pretend that he cares. You know, he can show up and he can give a, a moving speech about how much the lives of these soldiers that he sent off to die in a war without any reason, how much those lives meant to him. They all hold their, the lives of their soldiers cheaply. Putin does, Zelensky does, Ben Wallace does, Boris Johnson does, Joe Biden does. They all hold the lives of their soldiers very, very cheaply. And if I was a soldier, maybe I would want to be reminded that um, I'm risking my life to be the hired hands of these madmen who are trying to start World War III. Uh, but I think we all need to understand that there, <laughs> there is essentially a mobile crematorium following each and every one of us around. Nobody has promised tomorrow. And so we ought to live our lives with that understanding that today may be our last, that we may be standing before God before too long. Uh, if you live your life that way, you'll probably live it differently than if you think uh, there's no mobile crematorium <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> like, but uh, he said it's a very chilling side effect here of how the Russians view their forces. You know, being a soldier and knowing that trundling behind you is a way to evaporate you if you're killed in battle. Again, you're being sent to a battle that is going to evaporate you. And if you are not fully evaporated, they'll finish the job. But the point is that you're in this fight for these people. He is a former Scots Guard officer, and he was boasting about how his regiment had kicked the backside of the czar in Crimea, and we can always do it again. Well, you know, actually, he didn't have anything to do with that. That was back in 1853. And uh, those people that were back then, even though if you look at the charge of the Light Brigade, <clears throat> so there was a very good war uh, uh, story about that. Lord Cardigan, who uh, became very famous for the charge of the Light Brigade, so much so they adopted his clothing because, you know, as a, as a gentleman officer, uh, he could pick his own outfit. Uh, even more so, I guess. Well, you know, you had that, that type of thing with American generals. Or you had the uh, idiosyncrasies of MacArthur to some degree. Uh, Patton had his pearl-handled revolvers and that type of thing. Well, Cardigan had a red sweater. <laughs> uh, you know, be afraid. Be very afraid. Anyway, um, he was an upper-class twit who had his command simply because of his ruling class status. And there was an excellent book, if you ever want to read something that's entertaining, that puts uh, war and uh, that, that whole system, especially back then, the 1850s, into perspective. It's called The Reason Why. And uh, I read that in college, <clears throat> in a history class. And uh, yeah, they, they named sweaters after him. That's why we call them cardigans when they came back. Uh, there was the uh, poem by Longfellow, 
half a league, half a league, half a league onward. I rode the 500 in the valley of death and all this kind of stuff, the thin red line. So it was such a famous charge. And the whole thing was a mistake. <laughs> Nobody was doing it. He had absolutely no idea what he was doing. He was in the wrong place, didn't know where the other forces were. And uh, and it was a complete cock-up, almost a, a suicidal thing that, that worked by a series of freak events. And so if you want to tie this and say that, uh, you know, they, they did beat the Russians in Crimea, but not this guy, uh, not his Scots guards. <laughs> and uh, Scotch guard, they, they're famous for uh, <clears throat> keeping stains off your uniform, I guess, too. Anyway, the... Uh, now, it wasn't these guys. Uh, as uh, the saying goes, you know, back in the day when the men were iron and the ships were wooden, oh, it was a very different class of people in every one of these countries back then than today. Uh, so uh, you can't really count on that. But he is saying, you know, that Putin has gone full tanto. Okay, Kimosabe. <laughs> and then here's another one. <clears throat> the propaganda that is coming out now. It's just juvenile. Unfortunately, it's the same kind of juvenile propaganda we saw at the beginning of the pandemic. And I was just astonished and laughing at, at that and saying, this is insane. In about six months, I wasn't uh, astonished and laughing. I was very depressed that we're never going to get out of this hole that we let them put us in. Never going to get out of this self-imprisonment based on fear. And let me tell you, this is a very dangerous time right now. These guys would dearly love to have a world war. I've been saying this for a very long time. I said, you know, what's going to be the difference between Trump and Biden? War with Russia or war with China? And if we're lucky, we won't get a war with both of them. But I also said that as part of the fourth turning, to keep people from turning against their own governments, as the governments have obviously turned against us in these last two years, to keep you from turning against them, they will create a massive war. And I said this fourth turning, as Klaus Schwab likes to call it, you know, mastering the force, industrial revolution. Well, if they master the force, if they master us, this fourth industrial revolution that they want to do, is um, a fourth turning, which, again, the previous fourth turning we had was the Great Depression and World War II. Prior to that, we had the Civil War. Prior to that, we had the Revolutionary War. And I've said many times, I'll say it again, I keep saying it to warn you, I think what they desire to have is a World War, a Great Depression, a Civil War, as well as a Revolutionary War. I think they want to put all of these together. So I think that they, it's, this is bigger than just wag the dog. Yes, there's a wag the dog aspect to it. But uh, we better be aware of this. You better be in prayer about this, that this doesn't explode into what they want. But we look at this, and, and I think the you know, ridicule is the most effective weapon, as Solomonsky said. We need to ridicule this propaganda. And it's not too hard to do. <laughs> It's actually kind of fun. Uh, they're now talking about the Zorro squads. <laughs> We've gone from Tonto to Zorro. Uh, I don't know. Uh, so you have the chilling meaning behind the sinister Z symbol that has been put on Russian tanks, uh, the Zorro squad. And so this is a um, 
This this is the mirror out of the UK, but this story has been picked up, reworked, run by multiple outlets. It's just like, you know, he's gone full tonto. They've got the Zero Squad. All the rest of you've seen this all over uh, the yellow press in, um, in the UK. Or maybe we should just call it the Mockingbird Press. It's probably more current. <clears throat> the um, This is what they say. Theories, theories about the sinister symbol. <laughs> Pull up one of these pictures of the, the tanks with a Z. It's a Z in a, like a box or a circle or whatever. So that's sinister. <laughs> What's the article name? Uh, the uh, chilling meanings behind sinister Z symbol on Russian tanks, include the Zaro squad. Anyway, uh, it's it's not, it's a Z. But you know, they're, they're speculating, why are there Zs that have been painted on these things? Because in the past, if they, you know, they would take it as a sign that the Russians were getting ready to do something, if they were going to go into Ukraine or some other place, so there was a lot of Russian equipment, they would say, well, you know, they don't, they want to be able to distinguish themselves from friendly fire. There you go, there's the sinister Z. <laughs> It's a triangle with a Z in it. How is that sinister? Uh, you know, you can speculate about the meaning, but you notice how they're trying to ramp this up. The sinister symbols, meanings, have been, uh, 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 one expert fears that it is an ominous sign. It's sinister. It's ominous. And this guy is an expert, but he's got nothing but theories. Listen to some of these theories, that, but see, they're not conspiracy theories. They're expert theories. You have to distinguish between expert theories and conspiracy theories, and it depends on who's saying it. <laughs> Anybody that's not a government mouthpiece, it's a conspiracy theory. But if it's a government mouthpiece, it's an expert theory. So you've got different expert theories. Uh, Ukrainians have very similar tanks and vehicles, and they'll want to reduce the risk of friendly fire, said one person. Well, that seems to be the most reasonable expert theory. Another one says, we believe the symbols may refer to contingents of invasion forces who are assigned to the Ukraine regions. Okay, well, that's another one. Okay, maybe that's it. You, know, you got a Z for Ukraine. Oh, that makes perfectly good sense if you're a government expert. Or maybe it's this genius intelligence officer with 36 years experience who says that Chernobyl is uh, powering north central Ukraine. Um, anyway, it appears Russian forces near the border are painting markers, in this case, a Z. Uh, but uh, David Klein, Akim, a former field intelligence officer, there's always these intelligence officers. Is that really what IC stands for? I always thought it was intelligence community, right? Maybe it uh, stands for idiot club. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> suggest that it stands for the point of no return. Yeah, you're going to zero out. Now, that's their, their climate agenda, net zero. That is the point of no return. So here you go. That's, that's the opinions from these experts, many of them, seasoned IC experts, idiot club experts, uh, just like the COVID experts. You have um, uh, reports of victories by some of the Ukrainian troops. Uh, they are saying now, Ukrainian forces say that they've shot down five helicopters, that they've destroyed dozens of tanks and captured dozens of troops. Kiev's military is far inferior to the Russian counterpart 
with an air defense system dating back to the Soviet era. Okay, now we're talking about over 40-year-old Russian tanks up against uh, the new Russian tanks that are out there. <clears throat> so, yeah, uh, they are able. This is a, uh, I showed this yesterday. This is a downed helicopter, they say. And um, the helicopter, uh, if you're listening to this, you know, this is some video. They're walking around the helicopter, but there's no bodies inside the helicopter or around the helicopter. Uh, it looks like they had to make a forced landing because they were shot up. The mobile crematorium that. got the bodies. <laughs> that's, why, that's why it just disappeared. They... <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> if I was looking at that, the only thing I could think is, all right, they're going to evaporate some Ukrainian uh, officials once they get them. It takes like yeah. three to four hour, hours to cremate a body. Yeah, there you go. They're going to so, vaporize somebody they want gone. So you're you're looking at it as kind of a, a mobile guillotine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, eventually, if you shoot somebody and bury them, they might find them, but you turn them into ash. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the Russians had experience with that. You know, They were able to uh, get rid of a lot of bodies, weren't they? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. So the bodies were either, they either didn't die or they, as Travis said, they were mobily uh, cremated <laughs> before the Ukrainians could film them. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, they say they've gotten dozens of tanks. And they're here in this Daily Mail article, they have, they say, well, at least 15. <laughs> That's not dozens. Of T-72 tanks. Now, I'm not a military expert, but I believe the T-72 was the tanks that were around with the Iraq War, like, you know, 40 years ago. I'm not sure. Um, anyway, they said they used Javelin PTRK, uh, a, an American anti-tank missile. Now, here, this is interesting. Because, you know, Nalvani, a political opponent of Putin who uh, uh, had the audacity to go back and challenge Putin, and so Putin just threw him in jail. I mean, he's, he doesn't care. Uh, you know, he's that kind of, he's a Trudeau guy, you know. Uh, Klaus Schwab brags that Putin went to Davos and graduated with honors, I guess. Uh, but uh, Nalvani is still able to get some information out of prison, I, I guess. So he his comment was, so you got these uh, doddering old former communists, referring to Putin, who used to be a colonel in the KGB. These doddering old uh, communists are now going to get us into an Afghanistan quagmire. And quite frankly, <clears throat> all of these um, anti-tank, anti-helicopter missiles uh, could turn that into a quagmire. That's the reason that Afghanistan became a quagmire for uh, the Russians was because of uh, the use of al-Qaeda. They called them Mujahideen at the time. Uh, and you had people like, um, uh, what was the guy, I can't remember, John McCain, <laughs> out of mind already. John McCain going around doing fundraisers with uh, Republican women and taking a, a, a Mujahideen or an al-Qaeda or an ISIS guy because they're all the same. Taking him around and saying, you want to adopt a mooge? Give us some money, and we'll give it to this guy. Oh, sure. Where do I fill out the? How much do you want? Uh, you talk about throwing your money away. Where did that go? That go into the poppy fields of Afghanistan? Did it go into McCain's back pocket? Who knows? Anyway, he was going around raising money for these people, and and they gave them a lot of uh, missiles. And it was just devastating to the Russians. That was why that became a quagmire for them. And so this could become a quagmire for Putin. Uh, this could be like a tar baby. You know, yeah, don't throw me into that briar patch. According to the country's defense ministry, 
uh, the UK, the U- Ukraine. <laughs> the figure was higher than 30 by the end of Thursday. Okay, so if they can be believed, they did get dozens. But um, they have now say that uh, Kiev is coming under heavy attack as Putin's tanks move to within 20 miles of the Ukrainian capital. Russian forces have seized control of Chernobyl. Again, this is a big deal, getting control of Chernobyl. Uh, maybe that's why they need the mobile crematoriums to get rid of the uh, troops who are guarding uh, Chernobyl for a long time. Uh, you remember, we watched that uh, uh, Top Gear episode <clears throat> where they were, the three of them were driving and they went through Chernobyl. Mm-hmm. And uh, remember that? The it was a great down. episode. Yeah. I mean, boy, that place, talk about desolation. And it's still really hot and it's going to be really hot for uh, uh, probably a thousand years. It's one of those things where you can go there for the day and not get enough radiation to really do damage to you, but as you get closer and closer to the plant, it starts spiking. And, of course, there's tremendous hot zones within it, like the uh, elephant's foot, I believe it's called, which is the melted core down at the center is still just unapproachable, I believe. Yeah, and the whole time they are going through there with the, the crew, you hear that Geiger counter, and it's really ominous, you know, as it's popping at a faster and faster rate. And so they're, they're looking at each other as they got their tags on there, uh, accumulating uh, all this radiation. So, yeah, I mean, you know, why would you want that? Again, no, because it powers northern central Ukraine. Uh, so anyway, they said... Um, <clears throat> so that Ukraine for- doesn't have a monopoly on all the super mutants, of course. <laughs> That's right. Well, I tell you, when I was looking up the picture of... Uh, when I was looking up this picture here of this guy in a hazmat suit, in front of Chernobyl, uh, I saw some horrific pictures of what it's done to children. I mean, it's it's really bad. Children have been born with severe birth defects, uh, all kinds of different issues. I mean, it's you know it's a visual thing, but it's a type of thing like this vaccine is, where people are getting hit with all types of of really crazy stuff, and uh, you know it would. Um, a lot of uh, dwarfism and uh, a lot of other things that were involved there, but but really strange mutations for the children, and that's one of the reasons why we don't want to vaccinate our kids, folks. You know, they're much more vulnerable to this stuff because their metabolism is fast, because they're developing, and and, and you know, making that that change in them. So they said the Russian forces seized control of Chernobyl, with video revealing the tanks parked in front of the reactor again. You know. Get the the crematorium ready. They came after a fierce battle with condition of nuclear waste storage facilities unknown. Yeah, let's just Did they really fight that hard to keep the nuclear waste? Like, no, no, please, no, don't take our nuclear waste. (laughs) Don't, please, oh, no, they've got it. Sorry, Vladimir, they took it. What what kind of a war is this where Chernobyl is a strategic point? And and where you're shooting around all kinds of uh, heavy munition— did you uh, disturb the elephant's foot? I mean, you know, this is incredibly crazy. Uh, so, uh, and, and I'm not trying to make light of the suffering. Look, uh, death is horrific. And, and that's why we oppose war. And that's why war should only be fought defensively. War should only be fought when you are attacked to defend your country, because then it is clear. If you go to throw out monsters abroad, you don't really know what's going on, and you don't really understand what is happening. But I just want to show this to you, because when we look at these absurd, reckless actions of Putin, 
uh, when we look at the fact that Zelensky, from his safe vantage point, says, we will fight to the last man. No, he won't. He'll bug out of the country when things get bad enough. Uh, so we look at people like this and people like Putin, people like Trudeau, people like Biden. I want you to uh, take a look at this picture. Where is this happening? Oh, I hear the Russian. Those are Russian police officers who have uh, people. I'll play that for you again. It's very short. Russian police officers, the person taking this kept moving because they don't want to get the same treatment. They got multiple people that they've taken down and are beating while they're still on the ground. That looks familiar, doesn't it? A lot of people said, oh, I thought that was Canada. Oh, I thought that was Australia. Oh, I thought that was New Zealand. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. These people who have gone to war with their own countrymen everywhere, whether you're talking about uh, Trudeau or Biden or Putin or Jabsinda Ardern, you know, when you look at this, or Scott Morrison. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, is it Morrison? Morrison, I can't remember. Anyway, he's uh, these passing dictators. My favorite one was Gladys Berejiklian. I mean, that that's a name. It's, uh, you spend a while, while trying to pick up that name, and it's a shame she's gone from the scene now just because. No, it's good she's gone from the scene. She was horrific. Anyway, we look at what how they treat their own people. And you have to ask, why then would I believe them on anything? They've been at war with us. Why would I follow them into a war in another country where I don't know the people, I don't know the issues, I don't know what's happening, I don't know who the good guys are or where the bad guys are? See, that is what's really should be called going full tanto, just this blind loyalty, and you don't know what's going on. So let's not do that. We'll be right back. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Common Man. They created Common Core to dumb down our children. They created Common Pass to track and control us. Their Commons Project to make sure the commoners own nothing. And the communist future. 
They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. TheDavidKnightShow.com All right, and it doesn't show up uh, there, but we have also since then added... Rockfin, and I just want to thank the uh, people who are there. We have received uh, a couple of tips there. Uh, Aaron Johnson, $5. Peter Folco, $5. Uh, thank you very much. And, of course, we have now had Biden's pick uh, for Supreme Court. As he said, it was going to be a black woman. And um, as uh, Jonathan Turley said, well, you know, um, to uh, discriminate against everybody else, regardless of how qualified they are, uh, you know, that's uh, – but, of course, that is exactly what he's going to do. Um, that's how he picked uh, Kam Lala. Uh, Kamala Harris was not picked because of her qualifications to be vice president. I think we can safely say that. There are many black women who would be qualified to be vice president, but not her. Uh, and so we can only imagine, <clears throat> um, yeah, not confirmed, but two sources are saying that it will be her. Well, we shall see. I don't know anything about her. We'll look her up. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about uh, Putin's war with Ukraine, because this is a, an interesting take on all this from uh, Pat Buchanan. He said, uh, you go back and you look at the history of Putin, his personal history. You look at the history of NATO with Russia over the last couple of decades, you know, since the Soviet Union fell. He said uh, Putin demanded that the U.S. rule out Ukraine as a future member of the NATO alliance. The U.S. archly replied, NATO has an open-door policy. Any nation, including Ukraine, which may apply for membership and be admitted. And we're not changing that. In the Bucharest Declaration of 2008, NATO had put Ukraine and Georgia even farther east in the Caucasus on a path to membership in NATO. And coverage under Article 5 of the treaty, which declares that an attack on any member is an attack on all. No, what is this, QAnon or something? <laughs> Where we go one, we go all. Uh, and that includes nuclear war. There we go. It's a suicide pact. It's what NATO is. Um, it's tripwires put up all over the world so that we can get involved in every single con conflict. That's what that, the purpose of that is for. It's not really mutual defense. It's uh, mutually assured destruction. Anyway, so in 2008, NATO said Ukraine and Georgia, which is much farther east into the caucus, were both put on a path to NATO membership as a Pat Buchanan points out. Putin invaded and settled the issue. Neither Ukraine nor Georgia will become members of NATO. To prevent that, Russia will go to war as they did this week. So he says, how did we get to where Russia, believing its back is against the wall in the United States, uh, moving NATO ever closer, put it there, how did we get to the point where Russia reached uh, this point where it chose war with Ukraine 
rather than accepting the fate in the future that it believes the West has in store for it. We said, think back to between 1989 and 1991. What happened in 1989? Well, it was after Bernie Sanders went to Russia for his honeymoon with the Soviets, and then everything went bad. You know, the <laughs> people that Bernie loved so much lost control. Uh, Gorbachev let the Berlin Wall be pulled down. Germany be reunited, and the captive nations of Eastern Europe go free. The collapsed Soviet empire that Gorbachev had, he allowed the Soviet Union to dissolve into 15 independent nations, these satellite countries that had been absorbed. Putin, at that time, was, um, uh, you know, he came to, um, into power in 1999. He had been a colonel in the KGB. And uh, this was after, as uh, Pat Buchanan calls it, a disastrous decade-long rule of Boris Yeltsin, who ran Russia into the ground. As a matter of fact, you know, when people in Russia, Boris Yeltsin, no friend to the West either, uh, but certainly no, no friend to his own people, uh, this drunkard, <clears throat> when um, his own people were protesting, he had no problem with his soldiers just shooting him on the spot, dead. Yeah, there are a lot of this. And, and let me tell you, uh, Trudeau wouldn't have any problem with that either. He just can't find anybody yet in Canada who will do those orders. But he wouldn't have any problem if the uh, police would do that. So again, he's, uh, he comes to power. He's a KGB colonel. He comes to power in 1999. What happened in 1999? I showed you this picture yesterday. Belgrade, 1999. <clears throat> this is the war that Kamala Harris has no idea happened in Europe. In 1999, Putin watched as America conducted a 78-day bombing campaign on Serbia, the Balkan nation that had historically been a protectorate of Russia. That year, also, three former Warsaw Pact nations, the Czech Republic, Hungary, and Poland, were brought into NATO. Against whom were these countries to be protected by U.S. arms and the NATO alliance? Well, clearly, we all know that was against Russia. So as he comes to power, having been a KGB colonel, that's the year that all that started in uh, Yugoslavia, 1999, and you see uh, three different Warsaw Pact nations come into NATO. These are the kind of the, uh, the, the background, the history, the perspective of Putin. Uh, the question seemed to be fully answered as to who this is allied against in 2004. When Slovenia, Slovakia, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Romania, and Bulgaria were admitted into NATO, a grouping that included three former republics of the USSR itself, as well as three more former Warsaw Pact nations. Then in 2008 came the Bucharest Declaration that put Georgia and Ukraine both bordering on Russia on a path to NATO membership. So this is less than 10 years this all started happening, falling very quickly. That same year, 2008, Georgia attacked its seceded province of South Ossetia, where Russian troops were acting as peacekeepers. They killed some of them. Putin counterattacked through uh, a tunnel into North Ossetia that uh, liberated the area. Then he moved into Georgia, all the way up to Gori, the birthplace of Stalin. George W. Bush, who had pledged, quote, to end tyranny in our world, unquote, did nothing. 
And after briefly occupying parts of Georgia, the Russians departed and stayed, but stayed as protectors of South Ossetians. The U.S. establishment has declared this to have been a Russian war of aggression. But an EU investigation blamed Georgian President uh, Saakashvili for uh, starting the war. In 2014, a democratically elected pro-Russian president of Ukraine, Viktor Yanukovych, was overthrown in Kiev. And we know the various backgrounds of that. Hillary Clinton, uh, Victoria Nuland, all the, the Maiden Revolution, uh, all these color revolutions that are happening, the heavy involvement of uh, Obama, Clinton, and of course, by extension, uh, Biden, the involvement of Soros, the involvement of the DNC, and of course, the same cast of characters were involved in uh, the attacks against the Trump administration and, and all of the uh, skullduggery that happened in the Trump administration, portraying Trump as a, as a uh, Russian puppet and the rest of this stuff. Anyway, these were the alliances that were set up there. Uh, rather than lose Sevastopol, Russia's historic naval base in Crimea, Putin seized the peninsula and, and declared it to be Russian territory. As Pat Buchanan says, uh, Teddy Roosevelt stole Panama with similar remorse. So whatever we may think of Putin, he is not Stalin. He has not murdered millions. He has not created a gulag archipelago, archipelago, and neither is he irrational, as some pundits rail. He does not want a war with us, which would be worse than ruinous to both of us. Uh, but, you know, uh, Trudeau and Biden are irrational, aren't they? That's the thing to be concerned about. Anyway, Biden almost hourly promises we're not going to go to war with Ukraine. Well, why would he then not readily rule out NATO membership for Ukraine, which would require us to do something that Biden himself says we Americans, for our own survival, should never do, and that is to go to war with Russia. In other words, the threat, the knife at the throat of Putin, has been this eastward expansion of NATO. And uh, then there's other motivations, of course, involved in this. There is the competition in energy sources. <clears throat> there is the, um, the need to have a distraction as the population is awakening to what has been done to us through this COVID lockdown. Uh, so uh, do they really want a war with Russia? Well, we have uh, Secretary of State Blinken saying, we're not halting gas and oil purchases from Russia. Wait a minute, I thought they were going into sanctions. Well, these are kind of soft, right? This is kind of like, you know, when Trump locked everybody down, there were certain things that were essential, and the rest of you could die. We don't care about that. Uh, your business that you worked on for decades, the blood, sweat, and tear, you, and, and money that you uh, poured into that, we're just going to flush that down the drain. Uh, but not the people that I say are essential. So what appears to be essential in these sanctions, because those are sanctions leveled against Americans, against Main Street, against the middle class, against small businesses, those were sanctions. That's when they went to war with us, when he declared the national state of emergency and gave the money and the authority to these governors, Republican and Democrat, to go to war with you. So we're not going to halt gas and oil purchases from Russia because we're trying to minimize the pain to us said Blinken. So uh, host uh, Nora O'Donnell asked him, as she's talking to Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, she said, uh, Russians eco Russia's economy is fueled by gas, 
And the U.S. is a consumer. So would the U.S. consider cutting off oil and gas purchases from Russia? Blinken responded and he said, well, what we're doing, Nora, across the board is making sure that we inflict maximum pain on Russia for what President Putin has done while minimizing any of the pain to us. He said, we're in full coordination with other countries, both consumers and producers alike, to minimize any impact this may have on energy prices and on gasoline. So do we have all this extra strategic reserve that we can help them with? Well, you know, you heard about the strategic reserve when Biden said that he was worried about the cost of gas. So he would release some of that to give us a little temporary fix. And that was a little bit of a dip, but not much. And then it disappeared very quickly. Because you see, from the very beginning of his administration, from day one, his first priority, Biden's, has been to strangle our energy supply. And you strangle the energy supply at this point by strangling uh, the availability of oil, of gas, of coal, of all the things that we produce energy with that are cheap and available. And so, as I pointed out yesterday, you had um, uh, Germany immediately come in and say, all right, uh, sanctions, we're on board with the sanctions, and so we're going to cut off Nord Stream 2, the big gas pipeline that Europe desperately needs to heat themselves during winter. And then shortly after that, they said, well, these may be temporary. I don't know if they said that after this interview that Blinken had with Nora O'Donnell or not, but uh, they did say that, you know, well, maybe we won't keep those on because maybe we're being used by the U.S. in this as well. John Kerry is very concerned. But what John Kerry is concerned about is not the war. He's concerned about climate change still. He's concerned that as they start releasing <clears throat> these, um, you know, bombs and shooting and, you know, flying planes around everything, he, he's worried that's going to be a massive emissions consequence. They're going to be putting up exhaust and it's going to change the environment, he thinks. <laughs> uh, he might want to take a little bit shorter view of this. Uh, you know, I guess if they run those mobile crematoriums, uh, that'll also uh, affect the environment. Uh, John Kerry expressed concern that a war in Ukraine would have, quote, massive emissions consequences. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Well, you know, at least these uh, soldiers who are killing and fighting and dying, at least they're not flying around the world on private jets like John Kerry does. Can you imagine what would happen if that were to no, be the case? Anyway, he uh, stated that there would be massive emission consequences to the war. He says, equally importantly, you're going to lose people's focus. You're going to lose certainly big countries' attention because they will be diverted from the real issue, which is the Great Reset. The Great Reset is, well, they don't want you to see the Great Reset. They want you to see the, the climate MacGuffin. But you see, losing people's focus, losing their attention, diverting their attention to something else, that really is the purpose of this. Now, they want to get you away from the uh, pandemic stuff because, uh, you know, everybody's realized that the emperor doesn't have any clothes with that. And they would like to move you on to the other MacGuffin. Uh, but uh, this whole war is part of that process. Anyway, he says um, uh, they'll, they'll be diverted. I think that could have a damaging impact for his agenda. No, actually, it'll help his agenda. He said, hopefully, 
Putin would realize that in the northern part of his country, they used to live on 66% of a nation that was over frozen land. Do you think that maybe the Russians wouldn't like to live on frozen land? <laughs> well, is that an argument? I've covered this for years. Look, the climate change, if there's any climate change going on this man-made, that's geoengineering. And they have these conferences and have had for decades uh, geoengineering conferences, but they've, uh, uh, I guess it was about eight years ago, they were talking about it. It wasn't, how do we do it? The question was, who gets to set the thermostat? And one of the things they said was, you know, I can understand that Russia would want a warmer climate. Uh, and we want to change things in a different direction. So how do we control this? Who gets to set the thermostat? Uh, well, maybe the Russians don't want to live in a country that is 60% of it frozen land. Uh, but it is geoengineering, and uh, that's what they're doing. Now, there's an interesting op-ed piece from Alex Berenson on Substack. And of course, Alex Berenson is the New York Times science correspondent who started questioning the, the vaccine and got booted out. And uh, then he continued, uh, the New York Times, and he continued to question it. He got booted off of Twitter. Now he's on Substack. And he says, uh, read Greta's. Ukraine has a few. And he's talking about the insanity that has made them vulnerable to uh, this gas pipeline. He said, once again, Western political and media elites find themselves in the unfortunate position of denying reality, obvious to anybody with eyes or a wallet. This time, they're lying about the economic and now political crises that their green energy policies have caused, particularly in Europe. These lies may damage them even more than their COVID fantasies did because they're even more obvious to people that are outside their bubble. Anyone who drives is aware of the recent spike in oil prices, now nearly $100 a barrel. Well, that's, uh, that hasn't aged too well. That was all of two days ago. Uh, as of yesterday, it had gotten up to 105. I don't know where it is right now. Anyway, uh, but Americans may not know about the catastrophe in Europe's electricity and natural gas markets. That crisis is even more directly linked to broader efforts to, quote-unquote, sustainable fuels that so far have proven distinctly unsustainable. Unlike the United States, Europe doesn't have much in terms of oil or natural gas. For generations, it has used a mix of fuels, coal, nuclear, imported natural gas, and a little oil, and they've used renewables to power its electric plants. So that mix has worked just fine. But even before the world minister for energy policy, Greta Thunberg, banged her shoes against the desk at the UN in 2019, the Europeans were getting very worried about carbon dioxide. Uh, even running stories that he references here, the BBC, they show a person standing there with a colored gas, like he's blowing out uh, uh, colored gas from a vape thing, intense. How much human breathing contributes to climate change? And he says, so yeah, just a reminder here that CO2 is what you get when you burn anything, hydrocarbons like coal or oil, but it's also uh, comes from breath. He said, which makes every human being on the planet a greenhouse gas emitter, but let's not even go there. Now, if he went there, he would understand even more about the vaccines that he understands are not safe or effective. If you understand um, that this is really about depopulation, uh, not because 
humans breathing or animals breathing is a real threat to the climate or to the environment. It's a closed system. If you get more CO2 in the system, it's a natural thing. God has designed this as a symbiotic system. Plants love CO2. You want them to grow faster? You give them more CO2. And they will take it out. You don't have to pay Elon Musk trillions of dollars to uh, terraform the earth and to uh, store and sequester carbon dioxide that they take out of the atmosphere. That's what plants are for. Anyway, uh, in part because they don't have much of an oil industry to destroy, for the last 50 years or so, Europeans have been comfortable pushing energy efficiency with high gasoline taxes, high-speed trains, and wind farms. Those are all basically harmless ways to prove that they aren't Americans. Uh, it also is a way to prove that they are further along in their corruption and crony capitalism and their stakeholder capitalism than even we are here in America. The entire European Union now emits less carbon than India and about a third as much as China. In fact, if every American and European stopped emitting carbon entirely and went back to living in caves, the world as a whole would still produce more carbon dioxide now than it did 20 years ago because of the increase in India and the increase in China. You know, they don't have any restrictions. This is one of the reasons why people who really are true believers in the uh, emission MacGuffin, those people were furious about the Paris Climate Accord because they said, well, wait a minute, you know, the biggest polluters on the planet, China and India, don't have any restrictions on them whatsoever. There's no restrictions on the number of plants they can build. They're not required to build clean plants. They're not required to clean up the dirty plants that they have right now. And it's so bad that in India, if you drive an electric car, the power plant that produces the electricity for that grid is so dirty that if you drove a gasoline car that got 36 miles per gallon, there's a lot of those out there now. If it just got 36 miles per gallon and it was burning gasoline, uh, that internal combustion engine car would be cleaner than the electric car that was powered off a grid that was powered by a dirty factory. Back to the article. The point is the Europeans want to do the right thing so the Chinese and Indians can do the wrong thing. <laughs> They're going to set an example. Well, you know, they're not really too happy about it either. Not everybody is on board with this, as we saw with the yellow vests and friends. He said, weirdly, they also don't like nuclear energy, and it emits zero carbon. Well, it's not weird, because this isn't about emissions at all. Not at all. Uh, and uh, if you want to build a better mousetrap, you will quickly find that out, that oh, we don't really care that it's about emissions. Now, I'm going to let you in on a little secret about Europe, says Alex Berenson. Don't tell anybody, especially not Greta. Europe is pretty far north. Berlin is even farther north than Calgary, for example, which means that during the winter, like now, Germany cannot rely on all those cool solar farms that get guys like Thomas Friedman excited, which means, and work with me here, that Germany and Europe generally depend very heavily on natural gas for their electricity. Now, it's possible to ship natural gas around the world in cold storage on tankers. It's possible, but it's not much fun because liquefied natural gas isn't quite like oil. Bad things can happen to it if it's disturbed. You know, like how your heating oil tank is in the basement, but the propane cylinders <laughs> stay outside. 
you know, just in case. <laughs> you should charge your electric car outside too. Uh, multiply that by a ship that is a thousand feet long. So, you know, like a propane cylinder that's a thousand feet long. Thus, pipelines are the preferred way to move natural gas. Pipelines over land or pipelines underwater. And uh, pipelines from a country that is reasonably close by. Lucky for Europe, Russia has natural gas to spare. It provides about 35% of all of Europe's natural gas, and that figure was about to increase as a new pipeline called Nord Stream 2 opened up. Now, 35% is a lot. But, you know, of course, uh, if you want to destroy a country like Biden or like Trudeau, uh, you'll get rid of uh, 30% of the truckers or you'll get rid of 30% of the nurses or 30% of the police or the firemen or 30% of Main Street America. There's no problem. See, these. this is why I say the governments in every single country, it doesn't matter what their stated political ideology is. It doesn't matter what their political party is. Every one of these governments is a uh, tyrant who has us up against the wall over this COVID stuff, just as surely as Russia is being aggressed on with this NATO stuff. They've got an agenda. And, um, you know, they, they're not looking for peace uh, with NATO. And, and they're not looking for sustainability of energy. They're looking for sustainability of their power. And they have a plan to destroy our lives and our countries. And they're working uh, very efficiently at doing that. So he said the Russians have already taken advantage of the fact they have this uh, to spare and the fact that Europe um, uh, needs 35% uh, of um, you know, their energy from this. He said since last year they have undersupplied their European customers. Natural gas prices have subsequently soared. So that's how it works. When Putin cuts down the supply of gas to Ukraine, or when Biden does it because he shuts down pipelines to us, like Keystone Pipeline, or because he shuts down oil pumping and oil leases and oil exploration, all of that he did right at the very beginning. When you constrict the supply, guess what? The price goes up. But they want an unaffordable lifestyle for us. And they want scarcity. That gives them control. Alex Berenson says, now electricity prices in the EU are about to uh, follow them to go higher. So electricity bills are expected to rise 54% in 2022. But, you know, just in the first day, it's one of the reasons why the German minister backed off about this uh, sanctions with Nord Stream 2. said, well, maybe it's not going to be permanent. Because the first day, they saw energy prices jump up by 13% in one day. So if they're projecting 54% increase in energy prices in 2022, it's going to be much worse than that. And that's the key. You don't want the hoi polloi to wake up and understand what these people are doing to us. Of course, the subsidies will flow more or less directly to the countries who are exporting gas because they're going to be... Um, uh, putting out, going to directly subsidize customers, right? Consumers, rather. So they're going to, that's all right. I understand that the price is going up. I understand that I came in with a national state of emergency and I shut down your business and I took your job. So here's a STEMI check. That worked out for you? Now, I understand that we have forced natural gas prices to go sky high. 
But that's okay because we'll subsidize this a little bit for you. We'll, we'll give you some kind of uh, electricity price stimulus. How about that? It leaves the pain. You know, here, have a drink too. Uh, so the, um, as he points out, if they do that, the subsidies will essentially be flowing to Russia. You know, Russia will continue to sell at whatever price they want and at the higher price. And um, the government will be subsidizing that. So stop and think about the bigger picture here. If they're going to force the price of gas to go up by restricting the access to it, then subsidizing the consumers for this more expensive gas that they're getting. But at the same time, they're putting sanctions on Russia to hurt Russia. They're essentially subsidizing Russia while they put sanctions on, and they are really hurting themselves. That's the way this works. But of course, it's not stupid. That's the plan. That's the you-will-own-nothing plan to take everything away from you. He said the subsidies will do nothing to change the fundamental problem, which is that Europe's green fantasies are unable to produce enough power to keep the grid supplied unless demand goes down. He doesn't talk about it, but of course, demand is not going to go down because the same people who are saying, well, we don't want to have these dirty power plants and they are taking down the availability of electricity, making electricity more expensive, more scarce. At the same time they're doing that, they're saying, and now we're going to run all cars off of the grid. And not only that, but we're going to outlaw you using any other form to heat your house or your building, right? You're not going to have fuel oil. You're not going to have natural gas or propane to heat. It's going to have to all be electricity. Regardless of what you could talk about, the different forms of energy, but what they're doing is they're burdening, as I've said so many times, they're adding orders of magnitude more demand requirements for the electric grid. Uh, and, and, of course, funneling everybody into that electric grid because the grid gives them central control over your life. Look, I like solar power if it's off-grid. Right? It gives you independence from these people. The grid is about control. The, electric, the power grid is a, a form of control just like centralized Internet, centralized government. And they want everybody pushed onto that grid. They don't want you off of that grid with an internal combustion engine or a diesel engine. And they don't want you off of that with propane to heat your house. They want you on that grid. And at the same time, they are throttling the input to that grid. Everything that they're doing is to create scarcity, chaos, disruption from the inside, and to do it iteratively. That's what Fauci said about the vaccine. That's what this is about because they're both the same agenda. Anyway, uh, this uh, he says, thus Europe is at the real risk of rolling blackouts and the prices for fertilizer, right? Again, remember, directly the cost of fertilizer directly impacting the cost of food and uh, the cost of uh, energy for the manufacturing processes that are energy heavy. But even worse than that, that he doesn't go into, I've talked about many times, everything about our, our system, the just-in-time delivery of every component. Nobody keeps inventory of anything anymore. It's far more efficient from an accounting standpoint and the rest of the stuff to have everything made just in time so you don't keep inventory on your, uh, on your books, which means that you, know, you do a little bit here, then you transport it over there, then you do a little bit more work on it there, and another 
some more of it over there. So food and everything is being transported in these supply lines. Transportation is a core part of this. And as I've said, uh, anybody who remembers what happened when OPEC sent that shock uh, through the system by a spike increase in the price of oil, and look at how that ruined everything. Everything became scarce and expensive. It created stagflation. Inflation at the same time, everything stagnated. That's their plan to do that in a much, much bigger way with this. And when you think about the energy prices, if you really understand how the energy is part of the direct cost of food because of fertilizer and other things like that, but it also is a very heavy cost because of the uh, it provides you know you have to have energy to transport everything and there's transportation built throughout this supply chain. If you think about it, raising the price of energy is like putting a big VAT tax on, a VAT tax, a value-added tax. The Europeans love a value-added tax. Why? Well, because unlike an income tax uh, or a property tax or something like that, you don't see, well, here's a big chunk of money you got to send into me. It's a sales tax that gets added to every step of the production. And in the same way, if they can mess with energy and, and do it at a spot where consumers don't see what is happening with it, they can increase every step of the production process. And so it really truly is hidden like a VAX tax, and, and it is, has a multiplying effect, just like the VAT does. Anyway, going back to Alex Berenson, he said, this crisis spells trouble ahead. We need to manage the transition away from oil and coal very carefully and stop blaming ourselves for a problem that is now centered in Beijing. Because, see, he still believes that there is man-made climate change. We somehow have to control these emissions. But he correctly understands that these things that they're doing, you know, the Paris Climate Accord and all this stuff isn't addressing the issue. As he said, you know, if you, we all go back to living in caves, uh, it isn't going in Europe and America. It isn't going to solve anything because China is uh, polluting so much. Putin might still have gone after Ukraine, he says, if the Europeans hadn't decided to live on windmills and muesli. But um, ask yourself, is this a coincidence that he waited for the Germans to uh, mothball those three nuclear power plants before he got hot and heavy on the border. As a matter of fact, you know, they just shut down three. They're going to shut down the other remaining three this year. So um, he said, uh, right now, hardcore energy sanctions are off the table, and those are the only sanctions that might make the Russians pay attention. But they're not going to do them. Joe Biden says, uh, I'm talking about the sanctions on Russia. He said, um, I'm not putting, I'm putting sanctions on Russia, but I'm not putting them on Putin and I'm not putting them on oil. <laughs> so I guess if you want to try to get Madrioski, oh, you're going to pay dearly for that. But you know, hey, if you want Russian oil or whatever, that's not a problem. See, this is just a head fake. All of this is a head fake. When we come back, we're going to talk about what's going on with New World Orders, uh, updates to what is happening in Canada with the uh, martial law, with the uh, emergency act, or which, as I call it, the Emperor Act, uh, he's going to be held into account with that possibly. Uh, you've got some uh, premiers who are willing to uh, take the ball and run with it for political advantage, unlike our Republican counterparts, which will not come after Biden whatsoever, uh, not even at the uh, beginning of this. But before we go to break, I just want to thank uh, Aaron Johnson, 
Uh, $5, Peter Folco, $5, David Coburn, $5, thank you, all of you. Um, and zero one zero two five dollars $5. Thank you to all of you. Uh, these are tips that are left on Rockfin. And again, I'll just tell you, I, I'm not sure if we put it up. I was thinking about that uh, today. I'm not sure if we put it up on um, uh, The David Knight Show. But um, uh, Rockfin, we added uh, so that you can watch the show live. It also the full show archives there. And then we have other video sites that are not live, uh, like um, BitChute and YouTube um, um, and Rumble. Uh, but we put the full show up there as an archive, and we cut out different sections for it. We also do that at Odyssey. We're live on Odyssey, though, too, right? Yeah, we're live on Odyssey. So we're live on Odyssey. We're live on Rockfin and on Twitter if you want to watch us. And then we put up the uh, podcast, the full show is put up on video as well as some cuts on a daily basis. Last two days, we've had so much trouble with internet speed. We're barely able to get up the full show to four different places. It's imperative that we have to move. And so uh, I uh, appreciate your prayers on that. And um, I don't know, we might, might do a, uh, a Tennessee Hillbilly uh, uh, fundraiser or something. <laughs> so we loaded up the truck and we moved to Tennessee. <laughs> Hills, that is. Uh, I know swimming pools are movie stars, maybe, but I don't know. The uh, uh, we got to get somewhere where there's better uh, internet. We have a, a house that we've found that has um, uh, very fa- very fast fiber optic, uh, but uh, there remain issues with us getting this house sold in the proper time frame. So we would appreciate your prayers. If that doesn't happen, uh, the move will not happen. So um, we will. Uh, be in prayer about that. We'd appreciate your prayers about that as well. We'll be right back. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Stay with us. Has your news been censored, banned, censored, banned over and over again? Has vital information been held prisoner by mainstream and anti-social media? It's the duty of every thinking person to make the great escape to thedavidnightshow.com. There you'll find links to live streams, videos, audio podcasts, and support links. 
Live stream the show at DLive and every Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern. Videos at BitChute and YouTube. New audio podcast, The Real David Knight Show, at Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, Spotify, and more. But even though there's a light at the end of the tunnel, without your support, the show will run out of gas. The links to support the show are at thedavidnightshow.com to donate via Subscribestar, donate via or donate via Cash App, Bitcoin, or P.O. Box. Our sincere thanks to all of you who have stood with us to get this far. Please don't forget to share the links and pray for the country as well as our family. All right, and uh, before we get into the New World Orders, I just want to uh, thank some of the contributors as we're getting close to the end of the month. Uh, we have uh, on sale some of the people I want to uh, shout out. I don't typically uh, read the names, and it bothers me not to do that because I people on Zelle, people on Cash App, I don't have a way to um, respond uh, directly. Uh, on Cash App, all I can do is just the only thing it lets me do that I know how to do is uh, to uh, click on a, a heart, you know, say thank you. I got this. Uh, on Cash App, we have uh, donations from uh, Michael S., uh, from Chris H., he wrote a uh, gift. He said, uh, to a brother, Christian, and fellow patriot blessings. Well, thank you. It is a blessing. And uh, thank you, brother. Uh, Mark P. I, lo- I listen every day on Rumble. Uh, love you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, Robert H., Randy P., Richard A., Andrew S. Thank you to all of you. They've, these are people who have contributed on Cash App. And um, on Zelle, uh, some of the people who have uh, contributed uh, since the beginning of the month, I'll just read them out real quickly. Uh, Maurice G., Greg A., Thomas O., Mary M., Greg A., William W., Robert T., Lafayette H., and Caleb H. Uh, also on subscribe, so I'll just say real quickly, we have um, some uh, monthly subscribers since Friday. We've had six new ones. Uh, I've got uh, two of the names here, uh, A. Birdwell and... Um, uh, Randall W., so a Birdwell. Um, so uh, thank you, and um, we also have uh, some tips, and I'll uh, talk about those later because there's some comments with those, so I want to uh, mention those together. But thank you to all of you who have supported us, and we are right now, I, I don't know if we updated the um, um, the gas gauge on the David Knight Show, but right now, I know I checked it last night, we're about 75%. So I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Uh, New World Orders. Let's talk about what is happening because this is some very, very important information. Now, there has been, and this has been talked about before, the fact that there is a key genetic sequence in the coronavirus at a particular point in the coronavirus. And this is uh, where the protein is, they call it the furin cleavage site which um, is what makes it highly transmissible in humans. So this little innovation, this little weirdness in the uh, DNA was looked at from the very beginning. A lot of people said, well, that's not natural at all. Uh, For whatever reason, you had a lot of people who were experts in uh, DNA said that's not natural. That's not something that's going to happen naturally. And uh, so... um, this has been talked about for a while, and now what is different is that you have a um, – and, and then after that, so they noticed that that was odd. 
the uh, furin cleavage site, uh, the part that makes it so good at infecting people and what separates it from other coronaviruses. As they looked at that, you had some people say, wait a minute, uh, not only is this something that makes it good at infecting people, but it also is exactly a key genetic sequence that was patented by Moderna in 2016. Oh, well, that's interesting, isn't it? As I've said for a long time, I've said the vaccine is far worse than the virus. And I also pointed out the fact that uh, this looks like gain-of-function. It came out of the area right there where you had the only biosafety level 4 lab in China, right there at Wuhan. And so, you know, perhaps they engineered something to make it, uh, give it gain-of-function, to make it more contagious. That's what gain-of-function is. Gain-of-function look, looks at two different things. They try to change the rate of transmission of something, make it more easily spread. And they try to make it more deadly. And actually, they try to do both of those at the same time. Uh, but um, anyway, it looks like it was engineered, and it looks like it was engineered to spread more easily. So all this ties together, doesn't it? This is kind of like, uh, you know, you got a, a rape and a murder, and you find DNA, and you go back and you do a test on it, and you find out who the rapist and the murderer is. In this particular case, it looks like Moderna raped us and murdered our society. They patented this genetic, key genetic sequence that makes it highly transmissible in humans. Fresh suspicion that COVID may have been tinkered with, the coronavirus may have been tinkered with in a lab emerged after scientists found genetic material owned by Moderna in the virus's spike protein, writes Mail Online. They identified a tiny snippet of code that is identical to the gene patented by the vaccine maker Moderna three years before the pandemic. Uh, the structure has been one of the focal points in the debate about the virus's origins, with some scientists claiming that it could not have been acquired naturally. They claim that there is a 1 in 3 trillion, trillion with a T, a 1 in 3 trillion chance that Moderna's sequence randomly appeared through natural evolution. But there is some debate about whether or not the match is as rare as the study claims, with other experts describing it as quirky or a coincidence rather than a smoking gun. Well, I just have to say uh, something about intelligence de intelligent design and about these uh, coincidence theorists. Uh, you know, it's a coincidence that we see massive number of professional athletes or young teen athletes dying of heart issues or collapsing on the field. We've never seen anything like this before, but it's just a coincidence, isn't it? Just as we see the incidence of uh, myocarditis going up by a factor of 133 times higher for young males who have been vaccinated. It's all just a coincidence. All this is a coincidence. And when we talk about coincidences and, and these people are saying, well, no, you know, it, it's, uh, uh, I've got some experts here. Uh, Lawrence Young a virologist at Warwick University. Says it's interesting, but it's not significant enough to suggest lab manipulation. Another one, Dr. Simon Clark, a microbiologist at Reading University. Likewise skeptical. Uh, and then um, uh, back in December, when the discovery first surfaced, you had bioinformatics consultant uh, explained on Twitter why he too thought that it was a coincidence. Look, uh, this is what that guy said. 
He said this sequence is annotated as artificial. However, if we analyze it, we find an almost perfect full-length match with another sequence that he mentions, which is a human protein involved in DNA repair. So it could have just evolved. No, see, the reality is, is that he says it's almost a perfect match, but it's not a perfect match. And it's kind of like saying, uh, you know, I, I saw this cloud formation and it almost looked like an airplane, but it's not an airplane <laughs> and it doesn't look exactly like an airplane or whatever. Uh, these are the same people who have no trouble believing that uh, we've had molecules to man evolution. Now, I'm not talking about narrowing out through selective breeding or disease uh, the, uh, you know, the kind of natural selection, right? But natural selection is not what they're talking about when they talk about evolution, even though that's what Charles Darwin initially called it. Uh, it's really more about things changing from, you know, a molecule all the way up to a man and everything in between. That's that kind of evolution. Uh, I don't believe that happens. And I'll tell you why I don't believe it happens. Because even though, you know, they'll, they'll talk about, well, you don't want to have these bacteria evolve because they get exposed to biotics. And so then they evolve into a superbug. Or, you know, you got mice and you give them a poison and it takes out a lot of them. But some of them survive and they evolve into super mice. Now, what that is, is just selective breeding in a sense. Because whatever it is, let's say, go back to the bacteria. You have the antibiotic gets a lot of the bacteria, but some of there's genetic variation in bacteria as well. And so what happens is some of these uh, 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 that are less susceptible to this particular antibiotic will survive, and then they will start to reproduce. And what you'll wind up with is a strain that is, um, uh, has that particular characteristic magnified and runs out through that population, uh, the resistance to the bacteria. They're not evolving into something different. They're still bacteria. You've just selectively bred a group of bacteria that is resistant to the antibiotic or whatever, or the mice that resistant to the poison. So they're not evolving into some super thing. You've just got a selected group of this. But when you look at something like this that is clearly artificial, and you say, well, I think that just happened. Again, the, these are the same people who want to tell us with molecules to man, they want to look at a building and say, that happened with a tornado in a junkyard. No, you can look at a building or you can look at a car. You may not know who designed that building or who built that car, but you know that it was done. It didn't just happen with chance random processes over a long period of time. And what they're telling us now with this, as these people, you know, you, you got some hand-waving experts. Oh, it's, just, it's very, very, yeah, it just happens, you know, that type of thing. And then you've got some other people who have actually run through the numbers of this, and they say, well, it's, uh, what did I say, one and a half trillion, something, something trillion. Uh, probability that this is going to happen. When we talk about evolution, you're talking about, well, you had to have this little kind of change here, and there's maybe a, a one and two trillion chance that that happened, and then you have to have this other kind of change happen, and now you've got another one and two trillion chance that that would happen, and you start to multiply these together, and you wind up with something that is far bigger than astronomical, a number. 
because each of these things that don't typically aren't going to happen if it's a one in a trillion chance of it happening. It's not typically going to happen. And it becomes uh, completely absurd to say that it could happen. And quite frankly, just with one in a trillion, I mean, we're talking about um, when you run through all the different things that have to happen in order to have uh, real evolution, uh, you're talking about something that's much bigger than even this, but a one in a trillion chance is something that um, I would not dismiss as a coincidence. Everything that shows their hand is dismissed as a coincidence. So this SARS-CoV-2, they said, is the only coronavirus of its type with a furin cleavage site. It is coded by a sequence of 12 letters, and it allows its spike protein to be activated by a common enzyme called furin. Okay, so there's a spike protein again. Another fingerprint. You know, they even call Moderna has a brand name for their product. They call it SpikeVax. So this SpikeVax at the center of all this is also, you know, at the center of this um, furin cleavage site. All of this pulling together. In the study that was done in Frontiers, published in Frontiers and Virology, the researchers compared COVID's genetic sequence to millions of sequenced proteins in an online database. They found that the virus shares a sequence of 19 letters, including the 12 for the furin cleavage site. It shares that with a genetic sequence that is owned by Moderna, which filed the patent in February 2016 as part of its cancer research division. But again, like all these people dropping dead, it's just a coincidence. It's just a coincidence, a one in a trillion coincidence. I guess maybe we could look at it and we could say, I think it's a very, very rare idea that this would just happen, that it would be coincidentally exactly like what Moderna's sequence is. But uh, these people want you to believe that. Look, you go back and you look at this. Pfizer leapfrogged through this whole thing. This was all set up to be Moderna from the very beginning. And you probably had some corporate espionage going on there. Pfizer's a big company. Uh, they probably caught wind of this. They've got some uh, people in, on the inside of the bureaucracy, people like Scott Gottlieb, who went to work for Pfizer. And of course, Hahn went to work for Moderna. Uh, but there's a lot of evidence this vaccine's been around for a while. And this is more evidence that it's been around for a while. And from the very beginning of this, Fauci, who was running the show, had Monsef Slaoui uh, brought in. Uh, he and Slowey had partnered before in 2009 with the H1N1. They had pushed out an untested vaccine, Pandemrix, which prior to this was the best documented dangerous vaccine. And so they pushed that out. And so this isn't their first rodeo together. But Fauci makes Monsef Slowey the head of Operation Warp Speed. And um, Fauci, uh, or rather Slowey, had, uh, you can see him at all the different pharmaceutical conferences and everything, giving presentations along with Fauci and along with Francis Collins, the usual suspects. He was also uh, on the board of directors, Slowey was, on the board of directors of a group called Pharma. Uh, it's missing the A. It's P-H-R-M-A. This is a lobbying group that was, that 
lobbies for Big Pharma. It's Big Pharma's lobbying group on Capitol Hill. Monsef Slawi was on the board of directors. So he's connected to Fauci. They've done a lot of stuff in the past. You know, he'd been with GlaxoSmithKline for a long time developing vaccines and things like that. And um, after he gets put into uh, Operation Warp Speed as the head of Operation Warp Speed, he was allowed to keep stock in pharmaceutical companies that were going to be considered for all this stuff. Uh, that exception was given to him by HHS, Health and Human Services. Who ran HHS? Well, another guy who's big in the pharmaceutical lobby, that's Alex Azar, Trump's head of uh, HHS. Alex Azar had been the CEO of Eli Lilly. And so from the very beginning, it looked like everything was set up to hand this to Moderna and Slowey. Slowey is appointed the head of Operation Warp Speed. He's going to be able to decide if his company gets the contracts and everything. And you even had the little, uh, you know, play that was set up, and that's exactly what it was. It was like a little amateur play where Trump goes around the room and he asks the different pharmaceutical executives how long it's going to take them to develop a vaccine. And somehow he just knew the order to go and who was going to be the fastest, right? How long is it going to take you? Well, we can do it in a year or so. How long will it take you? Well, we can do it maybe in six months. How long will it take you, Moderna? Well, we've already got it done. What? This is great. And then I think, it's just my opinion, I think it'll probably be shown, Pfizer kind of leapfrogged. Again, they had some, you know, uh, espionage internally or whatever, and they had expertise in manufacturing, and they got ahead of Moderna. But this was all set up for Moderna. Moderna, with a patent back in 2016, uh, right there at the furin cleavage site, the spike protein and the thing that makes it so contagious, and they patented that. Patented that three years before anything happened. This might seem to be a smoking gun for lab origin, but, you know, we've got all these professors who say, nah, it's just a coincidence. It's just an interesting coincidence, isn't it? The odds of Moderna's sequence occurring naturally about one in three trillion. That was it. Three trillion. How's that for a coincidence? Uh, we're talking about a very, very, very small piece made up of 19 nucleotides, said one person. See, it's very, 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 very small. And this is very, 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 very rare that you would have this. As a matter of fact, uh, it's one in three trillion that's what happened. So um, you've got experts out there with their hand-waving narratives, but then you've got the people who actually did the math and quantized it. One chance in three trillion that this could have happened by chance. Earlier this month, <coughs> independent investigative journalist Matt Tiavi and Matt Orfalia produced a nine-minute video that documents a shift in the establishment narrative from ridiculing anybody and deplatforming anybody who proposed the lab leak theory. Uh, let's see, that is something that he's evolved, okay, uh, is now talked about as being plausible. So what is this all about? This is about design. And, you know, we've talked about it. We've shown you the video. came out in 2015. You know, you'll own nothing, and life will be better. But I want to read this to you <clears throat> because this was done about a year after that video that you've seen. This was done in the beginning of November 2016, yeah, right about the time that uh, Moderna was patenting their spike protein and the uh, cleavage site. Um, 
And of course, the title is Welcome to 2030. I own nothing. I have no privacy. And life has never been better. It was written by a member of parliament in Denmark. And this is a longer form, <coughs> excuse me, longer form, more detailed report. And so that I can have a bit of coffee and actually talk through this thing. I'm going to do a real quick break and we'll be right back. Stay with us. Listening to the David Knight Show. Welcome to the year 2030. Welcome to my city. Again, this is a member of parliament in Denmark. Uh, somebody carrying water for the for Davos. You know, as Klaus Schwab pointed out, he goes, "Yeah, we've had a lot of our people who have penetrated all these different countries and their administrations." Well, here's one of them. Uh, welcome to my city, or should I say, our city? And see, this is going to be a continuing thread. Our city. You won't own anything. It'll be, you know, collectively owned. Again, these people are neo-Marxists, communists. They even talk about the uh, common project and the common past and everything is held in common because they're communists. And you've seen the pictures of uh, Klaus Schwab speaking from his study. And on the shelf behind him is a bust of linen they don't even try to hide it. Uh, I've got a, I've got two busts. Um, <laughs> I've got one of Beethoven. I've got one of Jefferson. <laughs> He's got Lennon. Okay. Anyway, um, <clears throat> he says, um, uh, I say our city. I don't own anything. I don't own a car. I don't own a house. I don't own any appliances or any clothes. Any clothes in 2030. I guess, you know, they'll give you the Chairman Mao pajama suits. Anyway, uh, he says, uh, it might seem odd to you, but it's perfect. It makes perfectly good sense. Everything you consider to be a product now has become a service. What he's saying here is that everything is a rental. And uh, that th these people, we used to have, back in the 1960s, when Robert McNamara finished messing with us over Vietnam, he went to the uh, International Monetary Fund, and he started making massive loans to, quote-unquote, developing countries, but they weren't for infrastructure to help them develop at all. Instead, he was pushing to them welfare programs. And then he was, and they said, well, we don't have the money to give this away. We'll loan you the money. And people said, this is despicable. This is rent-seeking, rent seeking. You're trying to turn these people into debt slaves. You want them indebted to you. They're not borrowing the money to increase their production of anything in their society to make them wealthier. They're not investing this. They're just borrowing it and spending it. It's like a massive credit card for the nation. You're turning them into debt slaves, rent seeking. That's what this is. Uh, everything you considered to be a product will now become a service. Transportation, accommodations, your, your home, 
food, all the things that we need in our daily lives, one by one, these all things, all these things became free. Oh yeah. You believe that? I mean, running throughout this piece is a kind of naive utopianism that you would typically see when I was growing up. It'd be offered to us at Disney World. You know, let's go to the land of the future, you know, and here's the, the kitchen of the future. And there's mom all dressed up and makeup and, and has her hair done like she's going to a party, walking around cooking in high heels and all the rest of this stuff. This is the kitchen of the future. And that's the same kind of naivete that we have here. Welcome to the future where everything is free. First, we had communication became digitized and free. Then we had clean energy that became free. Then we had transportation, transportation which dropped dramatically in price. It made no more sense for us to own cars anymore because we could call a driverless vehicle or a flying car. <laughs> for longer, it goes full Jetson, uh, for longer journeys within minutes, we started transporting ourselves in much more organized and coordinated ways. I can just hear Klaus Schwab saying that. We will transport you in organized and coordinated ways. Uh, get on the train. Yeah. Uh, when public transportation became easier, quicker, more convenient than the car. Never will it be more convenient. Uh, you um, <clears throat> Anyway, now I can hardly believe that we accepted congestion and traffic jams, not to mention the air pollution from combustion engines. What were we thinking? Sometimes I use my bike. Oh, wait a minute. He said, my. He owns a bike? I mean, he doesn't even own any clothes, but he owns a bike? Okay. Anyway, uh, the environmental problems seem to be far away. In our city, we don't pay rent because someone else is using our free space whenever we do not need it. Well, then it's not yours, is it? Uh, my living room is used for business meetings when I'm not there. Comrade? <laughs> Again, this is like Dr. Chivago when he comes home and they've taken over the, the, the big family house and, and there's just people all over the place. And they relegated him and his family who owned the house, they relegated them to corner of the attic. And then, uh, you know, he goes, oh, okay, he's trying not to make waves. And the guy is watching him real closely. And he says, you've been noticed, comrade. Oh, okay. I've noticed your attitude. It'll be reported. The early form of social credit before they even had uh, social media for that. <clears throat> My living room is used for business meetings when I'm not there. Because he basically lives in a commune. Communist commune. Once in a while, I choose to cook for myself. The necessary kitchen equipment is delivered at my door within minutes. What kind of nonsense is this? Well, I just think about it, and it appears. Uh, yeah, Who's doing the cooking? Who's doing the delivery, right? I mean, he's got to have somebody who's got to cook for him. Somebody has got to deliver it for him. Oh, but he's going to explain to you how that magically happens, just, you know, just like Star Trek or something. You just push the button. And it just materializes the food there. This also made the breakthrough of a circular economy easier. Yeah, this is my circular economy. It's based on circular logic. Environmental problems seem far away since we only use clean energy and clean production methods. The air is clean. The water is clean. Nobody would dare touch the protected areas of nature. Because if you did, <clears throat> you'd probably have... Klaus Schwab's jackbooted thugs come down and beat you to death uh, because they constitute such value to our well-being. 
shopping? I can hardly remember what that is. For most of us, is I've just turned into thing choosing the things that I want to use. That's what shopping is. Anyway, <laughs> sometimes I find this fun, and sometimes I just want the algorithm to do it for me because it knows better than I do what I want. And so here's how this all magically happens. It all magically happens because you've got artificial intelligence and robots. There's nothing really dark about any of this stuff. They took over so much of our work, we suddenly had time to eat well and to sleep well and to spend time with other people. I don't really know if I would call it work anymore. It's more like thinking time or creation time or development time. What they're doing is they're selling you the lifestyle of people like Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates who don't work. They have thinking time. <laughs> And they're just going to, they're going to project this out and say, you know, you could live like us. Just give us everything you've got. Okay. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so he said, but then here's the caveat. And this is one of the main reasons I want to go over this. Uh, what you don't see in that little video is what happens to the people outside of their little communist commune bubble. What happens to those people? Those people like you and I, who aren't going to have anything to do with this. He said, well, uh, they live different kinds of lives outside of the city. He said, my biggest concern is for all those people who do not live in our city. Those that we lost along the way. Those who decided that it became too much all this technology. You know, those of us who are Luddites or something. Uh, those who felt obsolete and useless when robots and AI took over big parts of our jobs. Those who got upset with the political systems and turned against it. They live different kinds of lives outside the city. Some of them have formed little self-supplying communities. Yeah. Others just stayed in the empty, abandoned houses in small 19th century villages. Once in a while, and he admits, once in a while I do get annoyed about the fact that I have no real privacy. Because you don't own anything. And because they're watching everything that you do. As a matter of fact, that was a problem with Sidewalk Labs, Google's experiment for a smart city. You had a lot of these environmentalist ideologues, you know, utopian thinkers, who, oh, this is going to be great. It's going to be so clean and sustainable. And so they volunteered to work on this. And after a while, they said, this is beyond creepy. Google is watching everything that we're doing, even the trash that we're throwing away is being monitored and recorded. And they wanted out. And they got out. So he says, so, yeah, sometimes I get annoyed about the fact I have no real privacy. Nowhere that I can go and not be registered. I know that somewhere, everything that I do, everything that I think, everything that I dream of is recorded. Well, how dystopian is that? I just hope that nobody will use it against me. Well, you better believe that Sidewalk Labs and their alliance with the Chinese government or their alliance with the FBI and, and <laughs> CIA, they will use it against you, believe me, Trudeau. <clears throat> so, um, but we just couldn't continue with the same model of growth. We had all these terrible things happening. We had lifestyle diseases and climate change and refugee crises. And environmental degradation, congested cities, water pollution, air pollution, social unrest, and unemployment. By the way, these are all things that they're doing to us. They're doing it to us. 
They're creating the refugee crisis. They're creating the unrest and the unemployment. Uh, they are <clears throat> doing all of this. You know, when we look at, again, this utopian future, it just reminds me, like I said, of the type of stuff that you would see, you know, the city of the future, all these propaganda things from uh, the um, shape of things to come, all the rest of this stuff. I would see it in, uh, I remember Disney World when I was a kid, early 1960s. They had the house of the future, you know, and all this, this type of thing. It was something that was always there at the World's Fairs. Saw it in 1964, is at the, the World's Fair. And um, <clears throat> my parents were, my parents honeymooned at the 1939 World's Fair, uh, which is where they introduced television and all these uh, things of the future and so forth, right? Interestingly, at that World's Fair in 1939, the, on September the 2nd, they took out, turned off the lights at the uh, Poland exhibit because all these different countries had, uh, had exhibits. They turned off the lights because the country had just been invaded by Hitler. So amidst all of this, you know, city of the future, utopianism, the reality of human nature broke in in all this. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Has your news been censored, banned, censored, banned over and over again? Has vital information been held prisoner by mainstream and anti-social media? It's the duty of every thinking person to make the great escape to the davidnightshow.com. There you'll find links to live streams, videos, audio podcasts, and support links. Live stream the show at DLive and every Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern. Videos at BitChute and YouTube. New audio podcast, The Real David Knight Show, at Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, Spotify, and more. But even though there's a light at the end of the tunnel, without your support, the show will run out of gas. The links to support the show are at thedavidnightshow.com to donate via Subscribestar, donate via or donate via Cash App, Bitcoin, or P.O. Box. Our sincere thanks to all of you who have stood with us to get this far. Please don't forget to share the links and pray for the country as well as our family. And I want to uh, thank those on Subscribestar because that really is a core thing for us to know where we are. Uh, people who sign up for a cup of coffee uh, a month, you know, at a $5 level or more. And we have uh, several people who have uh, been very generous and signed up for uh, some of the higher tiers, uh, like $200 a month. That's the highest it goes. Uh, but there's also the capabilities just like we have on um, Rockfin. There's a the capability to leave tips there. And so I just wanted to uh, read in, uh, a couple of comments and, and thank a couple of people who've recently left tips. Uh, this is from uh, Frank G. He said, I've been listening to your news and commentary for close to three years. Thank you for your efforts to educate those who listen. And thank you for defending our socially and politically ailing nation. David, wish I could give you more than this one-time tip, my brother in Christ. Well, thank you, brother. Uh, Randall W., please keep up the work. Amazing work, please. Uh, Gerald S., thank you for speaking the truth, uh, for your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paula C., praying for you and your family, including Scout. You know, I'll just give you an update. <clears throat> a lot of people are asking about Scout. You know, <clears throat> he had um, 
Scott is our border collie and close friend. <laughs> He's my Tonto. <laughs> he actually may be smarter than Tonto. I don't know. But uh, uh, he nearly died this last year. Um, we think he was attacked by coyotes. At first, we thought it was a couple of rescue pit bulls because they had attacked him before, and we saw that. But we didn't see this one. And as we started looking at it, uh, the wounds are different than the ones from the pit bull. And uh, the way they attacked him was different as well. They, they came after his leg and tore it up pretty badly. And so it was touch and go there as to whether or not he was going to get an infection. But he was incapacitated for months. Very, very expensive, but uh, worth it to keep him. But the thing is, um, he's about, uh, let's see, how old is he? Uh, about seven? He's almost eight. Yep, he's almost he'll be eight. eight in March or April, I want yeah. to say. Yeah, so he's coming up to being eight years old, okay? So he's catching up to me in terms of dog years. Um, <clears throat> so uh, having that kind of a health challenge has really slowed him down. I mean, he's recovered. He's still got... Uh, I'll have to put together a video sometime uh, for, for people. Maybe I'll upload it to uh, one of the video sites or something or show it here. But it, it's uh, pretty amazing to us that the skin could close back because he had no skin at all from his hip down to, you know, the first joint. I don't know if you call it a knee or not. Uh, it was just exposed muscle on the inside and the out. And it's taken a very long time. It's very, very painful for him. He couldn't walk. And uh, so now he's walking, he's running. But that sedentary lifestyle put a lot of weight on him uh, for a border collie, and it's really slowed him down. And uh, he's been having issues um, with uh, limping with his legs lately. So I'm not really sure what's going on. But he's he's doing good. And again, it, it's, it's grown back. But he does have a long strip of scar tissue where there's no hair uh, on the outside of his leg. But anyway, uh, thank you, Paula, for uh, thinking about him and keeping him in your prayers because he is uh, still facing some health issues. Speaking of health issues, <clears throat> and we're going to have uh, Gerald Salenti joining us. I want to talk before Gerald comes on about some other big breaking news about the danger of these vaccines. Uh, this is coming from Dr. Joel Hirschhorn, MD. I've interviewed him many times. He is... Uh, He's retired, and he is hot on this issue. This has become one of the things that he's focused on. He's doing a lot of really good work with this uh, in terms of finding technical papers and then you know, explaining them in uh, more layman terms. And he says the biggest CDC fraud is how they lied about the unvaccinated. And, of course, um, we know that there's been the way they've manipulated this in a large degree is by saying, well, you're not vaccinated. We're not counting you as vaccinated until two weeks after your second shot. And that was part of the definition for a long time. So all these people who would get vaccinated and immediately have issues or drop dead or whatever, those were not considered to be vaccine injuries because of the way that they had defined it to protect themselves. And there's many other things that they're doing in terms of the way they label people unvaccinated. That's what Dr. Hirschhorn is talking about here. He said in its goal of coercing the whole population to get COVID shots, CDC has manipulated data to make it look like it is the unvaccinated who have suffered the worst impacts, the hospitalization, the deaths. He said they wanted the public to believe that there had been a pandemic of the unvaccinated. We hear that over and over again. On February the 5th, President Biden said, here's the deal. 
Unvaccinated individuals are 97 times more likely to die compared to those who are boosted. Protect yourself and those around you by getting vaccinated and boosted today. Well, as he points out, all such statements like that are lies. They were intentionally created by overcounting the number of unvaccinated people. He says, this is what the data fraud is all about. How has the CDC and the public health system created this fiction? Simply put, it comes down to hospitals categorizing many people as unvaccinated when, in fact, they have received the jab. The fraud by hospitals and the CDC is really so simple. When a COVID patient enters a hospital system, there's an immediate check within that system to see if the person has gotten the jab. There's only one problem. A large number of people who enter any hospital are very likely to have gotten the jab at any one of countless places giving free vaccinations, such as chain pharmacies or supermarkets or community places run by various public health agencies or even in physicians' offices. What happens is when a COVID patient enters a hospital and there's no immediate confirmation that the person got the jab, well, that person is classified as unvaccinated. So we don't have a connection between our database and, and you know, where you got it at the filling station. Uh, so uh, you're unvaccinated as far as we can tell because we can't confirm that you got the vaccine. We'll, this will be the default position as unvaccinated. And they're not connected with each other to a large degree. So that's uh, how that happens. He said the process guarantees an inflated number of unvaccinated COVID hospitalizations and deaths. The goal is to instill still fear among the population that COVID shots are critically needed for public health and safety. Uh, and again, you know, another part of it is you don't count somebody as vaccinated, even if they know that they've been given the shot. They don't count them as vaccinated until two weeks after the second shot. Anything that happens to them within that uh, month and a half period, well, that happened to the unvaccinated person. In truth, he said, the continuing explosion of COVID infections, hospitalizations, and deaths in recent months have been a pandemic of the vaccinated. Another aspect of this fraud is that many vaccine-related adverse effects are not getting put into the VAERS data system because people who are not officially recognized as vaccinated but are suffering a multitude of health problems or death are not being counted by CDC. They're being counted as unvaccinated, if they're entered at all, by the way, you know, because there's a, there's a discouragement, as we talked about before. Uh, people are discouraged from putting those things in. The hospitals discourage it. And, uh, and it takes time to put it in as well. Uh, so a lot of this is not being done. Therefore, the conditions do not always fit into the CDC data system counting the impacts of vaccines. Another aspect of the fraud is the incorrect use of population data. CDC easily uses outdated population numbers that lead to artificially inflated estimates of COVID cases. They use population numbers that are lower than the most recent census studies. Simply put, they use a denominator that is too low in order to make their calculation of pandemic impacts seem higher. All of this fraud not only casts blame on the unvaccinated, it is also designed to make the make use of the COVID vaccines look more effective than they really are. Withholding data, as recently reported, is terrible. But how CDC has manipulated data is even worse. It is the big lie as opposed to just a lie of omission. So again, we can talk about how they don't put the stuff in, but they are rigging it 
in so many different ways. And all of this stuff has been rigged, just like they rigged the cases by magnifying the PCR. Carrie Mullis, who invented it, said that, um, talking about what Fauci had done with AIDS. Now we've got, as I, I mentioned this earlier this week, we have a German health insurance company that is going public with this. They're not going to keep silent. They're not owned like the One America health insurance company, where the executive said, boy, we've seen an explosion of people with non-COVID deaths in the third and fourth quarter, you know, after we started vaccinating people. But I know that it, that it has to be COVID because this is like a once in 200-year event. So it's got to be COVID in spite of what our data says. When have you ever seen insurance companies do that? Well, I know what all the uh, metrics say here, but I'm going to massage the data to make it be what I want it to be. And so uh, he said, so I know it's got to be COVID because it's so big. And I know that the vaccines are 100% effective. How do you know that? Well, I'm told by the experts. So I know that it's got to be COVID, and I know that it's got to be unvaccinated people because the vaccines work. Therefore, we got to raise insurance rates on the unvaccinated. That's what his conclusion is. Let's punish them. And that's exactly the conclusion that the government wants. Now, in Germany, they're not one insurance company is not playing that game. They looked at the official government reports, uh, the, their equivalent of the VAERS report. And they said, well, the official government report says that fatalities – Following COVID vaccinations are 2,255, but we looked at this based on our health insurance claims, and we say that it's 31,254. In other words, it is almost 14 times as much as what you're reporting. Yeah, scroll down and show that graph. Uh, and, you know, it's about 1,300% higher. They said, by the way, we analyze this by looking at 11 million insured individuals that needed insurance coverage after injuries and fatalities. In other words, you're lying. It's impacting our business uh, because uh, this is not being covered by you. You're creating a big business expense for us out of these people. So they said, according to our calculations, this is translated from the German, uh, we consider 400,000 visits to the doctor by our policyholders because of vaccination complications to be realistic to this day. If we were to extrapolate this to the entire population, the value would be 3 million people who have been injured, who had to go to the doctor, had to go to the hospital, and had to have compensation from us. 3 million, and just in Germany. They said, uh, those numbers resulted from our analysis are very far away from the publicly announced numbers from you. It would be unethical not to talk about this. Finally, you got somebody who says it would be unethical to not talk about this. It'd be unethical not to investigate this. Uh, again, just a couple of days ago, we had um, a, uh, an NIH study that was kept secret, showed a 68,000% increase in strokes and neurological injuries. But again, going back to the original article, uh, it was, it's just now coming out because it was published in German. It was behind a paywall. And finally, somebody reported it on a German blog, and we got it translated into English. Disclose TV has also covered it on their Twitter account. They translated a letter that was sent by the German health insurance company, BKK board member, uh, to the uh, institute. It looks like they're... Um, CDC is the Paul Ehrlich Institute uh, with the Federal Ministry of Health. 
a part of what he had to say, this is what he said at the very beginning, severe warning signal for coded vaccine side effects after corona vaccination. He says uh, in the body of the letter, he said, when these figures are based on the full year and on the population in Germany, probably two and a half to three million people in Germany have been under medical treatment for side effects or vaccination after the corona vaccination. He said, if we extrapolate that with regard to the number of vaccinated people in Germany, this means that about four to five percent of the vaccinated people were under medical treatment for side effects after vaccination. He said, in our opinion, it is a considerable under-recording of the side effects of vaccination. Uh, and it's important, he said, to identify the causes of this in the short term. Here's what he said. Our first guess is that since no remuneration, no payment is made for reporting vaccine side effects, a notification to the government is often admitted, be omitted because of the great effort. Doctors have... Uh, told us, given us reports, that to notify a suspected vaccine damage case takes about a half hour to do in claims. This means that with 3 million suspected cases of vaccine side effects, we're talking about uh, 1.5 million working hours from the employees. That would be almost the annual work performance of a thousand doctors. In other words, they've made it so burdensome to report it that the doctors don't have the time to do it. And he says that maybe that's why. He doesn't accuse them of directly lying, but he says maybe that's why. It's just not possible for them to do that. But, of course, we know from talking to people in America that there's considerable pressure from their peers and their supervisors, the bean counters at the hospitals, not to do that. And so he says um, these figures that we have found are substantial, and they demand urgent verification. Absolutely. He said, um, and, oh, by the way, this is the other thing that's interesting. He said, this is really data from just the first two and a half quarters of 2021. And he said, um, the vaccinations really didn't start picking up until April. And see, that's what One America saw. They said, we saw the massive increase in third and fourth quarter. This guy is sounding the alarm because he looked at the first two quarters when hardly anybody was vaccinated. Just the first half. Uh, so, again, there's a lot of different ways that you can look at it. It's about 13 times the number of uh, people who were uh, reported. The insurance company says uh, 13 times that number were actually injured. If they're true or even close to true, these numbers are staggering. Germany had about 79,000 COVID deaths in 2021, and we know how over-inclusive that counting can be, says Vaccine Impact. How many were vaccine deaths uh, in addition to these? Uh, so again, all this started about April of 2021, and we're only talking about not even the full first half of 2021, but it was in the second half that all this stuff really happened. Finally, this is the testimony of a California nurse who wants people to know what she lost with this vaccine. She says, I'm a living nightmare, and it's not worth it. And I'll talk about that after the interview with uh, Gerald Slinty, because this is a personal story that you really have to hear, what has happened to her in this life, and what she says to people who are being coerced, pressured into this, having their arms twisted into this. Uh, you really need to hear what she has to say. So we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back with uh, Gerald Salenti. Uh, this is uh, a key time to have Gerald on because of what is happening 
with the economy as well as with war. So we'll be right back. Stay with us. The Common Man. They created Common Core to dumb down our children. They created Common Past to track and control us. Their Commons Project to make sure the commoners own nothing. And the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. thedavidnightshow.com. And joining us now is Gerald Salenti. He publishes Trends Journal. You can find a sample of that at Trends Research. Excellent uh, publication. And of course, uh, this year, from COVID war to uh, this year, this week, uh, from COVID war to Ukraine war to world war, and you see an exploding uh, nuclear mushroom. Uh, on the uh, cover of Trends Journal. Uh, it's available as an online publication as well in a magazine format. It's a great uh, publication, a wealth of stuff that comes out on a weekly basis. You can find it at trendsresearch.com. Thank you for joining us, Gerald. Oh, no, thanks so much for having me on. Well, not a good week, is it? Not a good week for peace, no. uh, not a good week for uh, freedom or the economy. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, what's going on in Ukraine. Give us your take on it. Well, again, if you look at the cover of the magazine, this happened before Russia went into uh, into Ukraine. Yeah, and um, it's what from COVID war to uh, to Ukraine war to World War. Yes, and and the next line is you know talking about peace is forbidden. There's not a peep about peace. That's right. No one's talking about peace. No one. That's right. Where are all these religions? How come no no where where is where are they talking about peace? I want to make this really clear. World War III has started. Hmm. It's not like it goes off in one shot. Yeah. All of a sudden, then there's the thing that's, oh, the Archduke Ferdinand got uh, you know, assassinated in Sarajevo. Let's start World War I. You're know, like, nothing was building up to that. And who <laughs> the hell was the Archduke? Yeah. And where the hell was Sarajevo, you know? Yeah. Oh, and then there was the... Um, uh, Pearl Harbor, huh? Oh, nothing was leading up to that. Not a thing. It was just, you know, we're going to bomb Pearl Harbor. What, what I'm saying to you is that, and again, if you go back to the Trends Journal, it's about three weeks ago. The headline was, you know, markets, markets crashing or something. And then the next line was, when all else fails, they take you to war. You look how January opened up. 
the markets were crashing week after week after week because the Fed was going to raise interest rates to stop the monetary methadone from flooding in for the money junkies to play the game. Go back to a thing called World War II. Or what preceded it? Oh, the Great Depression? Oh, what, 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 what preceded little Georgie murdering George Bush going into to, uh, Afghanistan? Oh, the dot-com bust? You mean the dot-com bust in March of 2020? Mm-hmm. And then when Bush becomes president, we're in a deep recession? And the, and the NASDAQ is down 66% the day before 9-11? Everybody forgot about that. Hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to create a now we're going to create after after we go to war in Afghanistan and we get everybody all freaked out. We're going to start. Okay, the banksters. Okay, you guys, we're going to create a fake housing boom now. Subprime mortgages, derivatives, play the game. People get the people's mind off this other stuff. We're going through the same thing. The markets have been ready to crash now for how long? Negative interest rates with these clowns, zero interest rate policy in the United States, negative in Japan and the the EU. And you have inflation running at 7.5%. And they're telling us for how many years, about 10 years that, oh, when inflation goes over uh, uh, 12%, uh, 2%, excuse me, then we're going to raise interest rates. Hey, craphead, it's at (laughs) 7.5% and you haven't raised it at all. Yeah. Yeah. We are going into World War Three, mm. And then people say to me, oh, I hope not. A jerk. What do you mean you hope? Hope is the most negative word in the metaphysical dictionary. How about, how about hope and change you can believe in, huh? Remember that one, dumbbell? Yeah, that's sold to you by the Nobel Peace of Crap Prize winner, Obama. Hope is wanting something to happen without you doing anything. Oh, I hope, I hope, I hope. Yeah, grow the hell up. If we, the people, don't unite, it's not united, we stand, divided, we fall. It's going to be united, we stand, divided, we die. Yeah. Because World War III was, will be the war when they asked Albert Einstein, the guy that knew a little thing about the atom bomb, what kind of weapons will be used to fight the fourth world, the third world war. He said, I don't know. But the fourth world war, they'll be using sticks and stones. That's right. Yeah, we had a lot of over-the-top rhetoric you know, we had Boris Johnson running around this week after you did that uh, that cover. Uh, we had uh, Boris Johnson running around saying, uh, "This is uh, uh, the first. Th- this is uh, going to be bigger than World War II." You know, saying that, and you had uh, Lala Harris talking about how, "Well, we haven't had a war in Europe in eighty years," and so forth. You know, completely ignoring uh, what they did in Yugoslavia. Uh, but um, th- there's been a just over the top rhetoric before this happened. And the fact that um, uh, that Putin went in, what what do you think uh, that is driving this? I mean, I look at the factors, as I said earlier in the program, uh, the fact that uh, they keep uh, provoking with NATO, pushing it closer and closer. And since like the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, that we had where they started prepositioning uh, things right at our doorstep, I think that's one aspect of it. I think uh, the energy aspect of it with uh, Nord Stream 2, uh, I think all those are playing it. What, what do you think is really the driving issue here and and who's pushing who to escalate this well you hit upon it and it's the um the trends journal by the way this week is 186 pages wow 186 pages and we did a whole special report on ukraine i'm going to read to you 
to answer your question, this is a trend post after we write about what, what everything that's going on. Long forgotten and not mentioned by the Western media or by politicians was the US and NATO's pledge not to expand into Eastern Europe following the deal made during the 1990 negotiations between the West and Soviet Union over German unification. Therefore, in view of Russia, it is taking self-defense actions to protect itself from NATO's eastward march. As detailed in the Los Angeles Times back in May of 2016, while the US and NATO deny that no such agreement was struck, quote, hundreds of memos, meeting minutes, and transcripts from US archives indicate otherwise. The article states, Quote, according to transcripts of meetings in Moscow on February 9th, 1990, then Secretary of State James Baker suggested that in exchange for cooperation on Germany, and that of course was giving East Germany back to Germany, US could make, quote, ironclad guarantees that NATO would not expand one inch eastward, end quote. Less than a week later, Soviet President Mikhail Gorbachev agreed to begin unification talks. Goes on. Also is noted, and we took this out of the National Security Archives. This is, I'm reading from you from this week's Trends Journal. This is from the National Security Archives. Quote, not once, but three times, Baker tried out the, quote, not one inch eastward formula with Gorbachev in February 9th, 1990 meeting. He agreed with Gorbachev's statement in response to the assurances that, quote, NATO's expansion is unacceptable. Baker assured Gorbachev that, quote, neither the president nor I intend to extract any unilateral advantages from the processes that are taking place and that Americans understood that, quote, not only for the Soviet Union, but for the European countries as well, it is important to have guarantees that if the United States keeps, keeps its pressure on Germany within the framework of NATO, not an inch of NATO's present military jurisdiction will spread in the eastern direction. It's changed since then, hasn't it? <laughs> Oh yeah. yeah. Now, now, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, oh, 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 all over, all over. And and you know who started this? That little slimy piece of crap, that murderous little nothing boy, Bill Clinton. Yep, that's right. Then Georgie Bush picked it up, and Obama picked it up. Yes. You know, people say, and you know, you and I are no fan of Trump. You know why there was no pressure with Putin? Because Trump wasn't expanding NATO further. Do you know two weeks before, it, it, again, it's all in your Trends Journal, January 21st, U.S. military, uh, fighter, U.S. fighter bombers, fighter bombers, 14 miles off the Russian borders. NATO doing massive, massive, massive NATO, naval uh, maneuvers in the Black Sea right off Russia. We go on here to say how yet the UN is grandstanding and despite 
the, the EU rather is grandstanding this currently, despite Russia's insistence that they do not want NATO's military forces and armaments in neighboring Ukraine. Just last week, Jen Stoltenberg, you know that little piece of crap, the Secretary General of NATO, who on more than one occasion pointed out that Ukraine is not a full member, struck out a confrontational tone at a security conference in Munich. Quote, if Kremlin's aim is to have less NATO on its borders, it will only get more NATO, he said. And if it wants to divide NATO, it will only get even more united alliance. Yeah. Hmm. And of course, NATO has pushed Ukraine and Georgia uh, very, very strongly. And we had um, uh, Putin go back into uh, after there was a, an attack that's based out of Georgia. He went into uh, Georgia, uh, took over the country for a while and then eventually left. I think he's made it clear that it's not going to happen in Ukraine and Georgia. In your judgment, uh, Gerald, do you think that um, this is more than just a wag the dog distraction from uh, Biden and the Pentagon and NATO? Are they going to continue to push this? Because uh, they've signaled some weakness in terms of the uh, embargo on uh, Nord Stream and other things. We, we've had Biden come out and say, well, you know, we're gonna, not going to put sanctions on their oil and we're not going to put sanctions on Putin. You had um, a Biden administration official say, uh, we don't want to do things that are going to hurt us. You've had the Germans, after they shut down Nord Stream 2, said, well, it may not be permanent. So they've signaled that there's some weakness on these sanctions. Do you think that that at this point in time, that maybe they just want to wag the dog distraction and that may pull back? What do you think? No, no, they're doing what the Nord Stream has been going on now for over a year. Mm -hmm. It's been ready to go and the United States has stopped it. Mm -hmm. About 40% of 50% of Germany's gas comes from Russia. And the Nord Stream, what the Nord Stream does, it blocks the gas that's now going through Ukraine into, into, into Europe. So they would knock off Ukraine and they're paying, paying Ukraine now because the gas is going through there. Mm -hmm. and, and you're looking at gas prices. Again, we're writing about this in detail about 30% of all of Europe's uh, natural gas comes from Russia. The, the, the prices are through the roof. The inflation is killing the people. So they're backing off on that because of the bottom line of it. They're going to do more. There's going to be a false flag attack of something that's going to get, uh, to get us more involved in the war. Mm -hmm. Again, this is none of my business, by the way. As you know, I launched Occupy Peace. Yeah. An occupied peace, there was a man, a man, a real man, not like these little boys that couldn't fight their way out of a paper bag playing president, by the name of George Washington. And everyone should look up his farewell address, how he warns the United States not to get involved in foreign entanglements, and the most to avoid are the ones going on in Europe. Yeah, yeah. Like so NATO. now let's <laughs> like NATO. Yeah. yeah. He, he was like, yeah. a, you know, a, a prophet predicting NATO, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, because it's been going on forever. Yeah. yeah. It's been going on forever. And now here's the deal. Here we are. We're having this. this we're together now. All of a sudden, Gerald, we just interrupt to interrupt this. A building just exploded in New York City. Another one in Chicago. Mm -hmm. There's, all right. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is the President of the United States. We are in a national emergency. You got it. Yep. Yep. You got it. Oh, and by the way, you're not going to be able to get your money out of the banks. Yeah. No, it looks like the Russians have attacked our banks. And to protect your money in there, we're locking down the banks until we straighten this out. Yes. Look what they did with the COVID war, how they robbed us of our freedom. And there was no fight back. There was no fight back. I fought. You fought. A number of us fought. Dr. Ron Paul, you know, but not we the people. Yes. They will take our rights away from us in a flash, in a flash, in a flash. And just like that little scum, that little murderous SOB, George W. Bush, who lied us into the Iraq war, the Afghan war, how he took all our freedoms away with the war on terror. Oh, isn't this a great name for the war in Afghanistan, the longest war in American history? Operation Enduring Freedom. <laughs> oh, man. Hitler would have been proud of you to come up with a name like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Patriot Act as well. Well, you know, when we look at this, and I was just talking about this, that, you know, for two years, you, you and I have been talking about this before it even happened. And yet, it, it, this kind of shock and awe to the population uh, yeah. because of the, the consistent propaganda narrative that was fed to them, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to think, and they didn't understand. They didn't have a context. They hadn't looked yeah. at what these people have been doing for years after years after years and all of these uh, annual flu shots and what they've been doing with the germ games and all the rest of the stuff. And so they were, they were taken back. They didn't know what to do. And it's taken this long. It's taken two years now for people to wake up. But they're now awake. They realize it's a fraud. Nobody's wearing the mask. They're occupying uh, different areas, occupying Canada. Thing. So they've got to come out with the... Uh, the truncheon to take this back is not just Trudeau, Gerald. We had uh, Jab Senda Ardern in New Zealand saying, well, yep. I'll probably reduce some of these regulations, but it's not going to be because you demanded it. It'll be because I did it. And that's really what yep. is that the basis of all this stuff. They've got to, to keep their authority that they put there and yep. to pull this back. But it's getting shaky for them, and they need this next level. You got uh, it. So, uh, you know, it's, it's very concerning <laughs> to watch this. And people need to understand that that's what's behind this. This isn't about, like you said, it'll be a false flag somewhere where they'll yep. do that. Uh, this is not about our, our concern that we have here. It's about our aggression. It's about these people lining everything up and, and goading and goading and goading until uh, they can, uh, you know, create an incident and then to elevate that if they need to with a false flag. You are 100% correct. And like you said, I decided. I decided. Yeah. I decided. Like that little boy, that little, that little arrogant little boy up there in Canada. The little another daddy's boy born on third base and thought he had a home run. Little true dope. I decided <laughs> the Emergencies Act. I decided. I just what about who the hell are you to decide? Who the hell are you to decide? Who the hell are you to tell me what to do? What do you mean, Salenti? What do you think? You're a free man? What do you think? God created you to to be yourself, how dare you? I'm in charge. I'm in charge. You do what I tell you. Oh, yeah, come over here and tell me that man-to-man, -man, little boy. Oh, no, no, I'll send my goons to kill you. Yeah, I call it, you know, I call it his Emergencies Act. They start referring it to, the, uh, to it as the EA, right? I call it the Emperor Act. And now yep. they've seen that the emperor doesn't have any clothes, and they've also seen between him and this uh, director of uh, Davos, it's his deputy minister, 
uh, oh. Christia Friedland, Freeland. Uh, oh. They've seen between the two of them, oh. they've seen exactly what this plan for central bank digital currency is really all about. Just taking yep. everything from you uh, yep. on the slightest provocation and uh, freezing your accounts and emptying them out. And so it's kind of, again, it's a, a moment where people are waking up. It's another reason why they've got to have this war, isn't it? Yes. Again, look at the cover of the Trends Journal going back to January 25th. Mm -hmm. When all else fails, they take you to war. Yes. How much more proof do people need? As I said, go back to the Great Depression. What followed it? World War II. Go back to the dot-com bust, serious recession. What followed it? The war on terror. Yeah. Now the COVID war, they've destroyed the lives of hundreds of millions of lives and livelihoods. And now they're going to do this. We have, we have mentally deranged people. We got mentally deranged people that are running and ruining our lives. Again, what they say, there are more, more galaxies and grains of sand. Yeah. There's something else going on here to me that's bigger than what we're seeing. This is demonic. Yeah. It's demonic. And by the way, one, one more thing I want to mention about, I did not think Russia would do what they're doing now. I thought they would go into the Donbass region and Eastern part. I did not. And I don't approve of all the shelling. I do not approve of that. Right. I'm, right. I'm totally against it. Yeah, I agree with you. I thought they would just take it to those two areas where there's been fighting for eight years. And, yep. and I thought that they would do that. Um, you know, you, when you had uh, Georgia, the situation in Georgia, he went all the way up into Georgia uh, where Stalin's birthplace was. I forget. I read the name of the town and, and went up there and they stayed for a while. And then they withdrew and kept peacekeeping forces there. But yes. again, I, I would have thought that, uh, you know, and, and perhaps they will do that after they run out this um, comedian. Uh, who is uh, up there. Uh, but this incursion really does, uh, the depth of the incursion really does escalate stuff uh, yeah. quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, I am totally opposed to it. Yeah. And you mentioned a comedian. You can't make this crap up. Yeah. What did he play <laughs> before he became the, the president? What was that? He played the president. Oh, that's what He was a comedian playing, playing the president. The president. <laughs> well, and then man. he becomes president. And he's still a comedian Again. playing a president, and and because they're all puppets, right? I mean, <laughs> that's it. It's like the yeah. COVID war. What was the first thing people did? They ran out and bought toilet paper. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. can't make this crap up. <laughs> I know, I know, because we knew they were going to have their hands up our <laughs> the behinds of the uh, politicians. So, uh, go stock up on toilet paper for that. Uh, what do you see happening in the in the near term? I mean, we've had a lot of, you know, gold has gone up quite a bit, but crypto has gone down. What, what's up with that? What do you think? I think the crypto, well, I've said this from the very beginning. You know, I've, I've, gold, silver, and Bitcoin in that, in that GSB. Gold and silver are the, gold particularly, it's the ultimate safe haven asset. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. And prices have gone down. You know, they were up as high as 1963 or something. Mm -hmm. Now they're down to about the 1900 mark. It's going to go down a bit. The markets are totally being rigged. You know, they, they, could you imagine they have a thing called the plunge protection team? <laughs> it's part of the Federal Reserve. What do you mean plunge protection team? You're rigging the markets. 
Yeah, they denied that existed for quite a while as well, just like they denied for decades that uh, the NSA existed. You know, it was called no such agency. Uh, so they have things like the NSA and they have things like the Plunge Protection Team. Eventually they say, yeah, uh, we lied to you. It exists and it's a really good thing, right? Yeah. So now what's going to happen, we're going we're gonna to go through, we're going to go through the worst, I believe, the worst economic times of our lives. Hmm. With, the, with the COVID wars destroyed, you know, there's no dry cleaners are all going out of business. Restaurants are closing down still. Yeah, there's going to be a bounce back. There's definitely going to be a bounce back. But this, what's going on with this, with Russia, the, here, don't believe me. Believe a guy by the name of Dwight D. Eisenhower, a five-star general, supreme commander of the Allied forces, that warned the American people that the future of our nation would be destroyed, the genius of the scientists, the sweat of the laborers, and the future of the children, because in his term, the military-industrial complex yeah. was taking over. Yeah. And that's all this is about. That's right. And we've seen some very uh, concerning things, again, in Canada. Uh, you know, as they have put these things in, there's two things that they are still saying. We're going to have to keep in and we're going to have to make these things permanent. And that is control over speech because we can't have any nope. misinformation out there. Nope, and, not also, misinformation. and also concern about uh, what is happening with um, uh, with money. And so both of those things come together, of course, in the central bank uh, digital currency. Do you think they're about ready to roll this thing out? We had another example. That's one other thing I'll throw to you. Did you notice the fact that you probably did that uh, Biden created a new agency to go out and confiscate crypto and other financial assets? And did you notice that he put in charge of it this woman who had uh, made her mark by persecuting Ross Ulbricht with Silk Road over the website, over Bitcoin, giving him three consecutive life sentences so the young man can never get out of jail. Uh, the whole thing was a railroaded act, and the woman who did it has now been put in charge of this new uh, agency that um, uh, is going to be charged with seizing financial assets from people everywhere, uh, you know, bank accounts, crypto, everything. Yep, and that's what I'm telling people. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> uh, going back to the crypto, the cryptos are going to be volatile. I've said this in the beginning when the governments take control of it, and they're going to go digital because politicians never work a day in their life. All they do is suck off the public tip. You got Bernie Sanders, you got Biden. You look at that. These guys never worked a day in their lives. Yeah. So they want the money. When we went through the COVID war, did any politicians take any uh, uh, wage cuts? They want to go digital, say, so, you know, every penny you spent, where you spent it, what you spent it on, how you spent it. They're in total control, total yeah. control. And to keep you from spending it at certain places with certain people and so forth and to you make it, it expire, you know, it's not enough that they take away the value of our money, that they take away the value of our, our store of labor. You know, you look at what the Federal Reserve has done over 100 years. Uh, they've taken, you know, 99% or whatever the percentage is, the purchase value has gone away. But now they can just make it go to zero and they can do it in six months or they can do it in a year or whatever they want. You know, here's some free money, but you got to spend it. They could do it in a minute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. In a minute. Yeah. Go back to thing called the 1933. Franklin Delano Roosevelt gets elected president. Was this one of the first things he does? Turn in all your gold. It's against the law for you American people to hold your gold. Turn it in. Yeah, that's right. You, you got to turn it. My my father, may rest in peace, told me the story. My grandfather, uh, 
may the both rest in peace. <laughs> he said, you know, son, he said, I went over to grandpa's house and there he is, he's packing up all his gold coins. I said, pop, what are you doing? He said, he said, what am I doing? He said, the president wants us to turn in all our gold. We have to turn in our gold. My father said, what are you out of your mind? Don't you turn it in? And my, he said, your grandfather started yelling at me. You don't, you're not an American. How dare you? Because my grandfather loved America. You know, they, they oh, were yeah. immigrants. You know, they loved it here. So they believed it. And what did they do? You turned it in for $22 and change. As soon as they got it all in, they raised the price to 33. <laughs> Yeah. They are going to call a national emergency. You will not be able to get your money out of the bank. Yeah. Right. And I go back to 9-11 very briefly. You could go back and you could look it up. USA Today, December 2000, just before 9-11. The headline was Trends 2001 won't be our year, Trendseer says. I warned that a wave of anti-Americanism was sweeping the globe and Americans wouldn't be safe at home or abroad. This is before 9-11. Yeah. People forget the murder Bill Clinton was doing in the, the Yugoslav war, bombing the hell out of bagged uh, Iraq, on and on and on. Anyway, I called it a, a new crusade that was, was happening. So 9-11 happens. I'm, I'm having a cup of coffee watching CNBC. You know, they say a plane hit the uh, World Trade Center. You know, let's not get too excited about this. We're going to cut back that. We're going to cut out now. We're going to down. And there's uh, the woman's talking, playing. And all of a sudden, whoo, wah, boom. I pick up the phone. And my old girlfriend at the time, Marie Pierre, she's from Paris, but she was living near me in Tivoli. I was in Rhinebeck. I said, Marie Pierre, go to the bank. They just hit the World Trade Center to get your money out of the bank. They're saying that the planes are coming down the Hudson River. And there's Indian Point, and I know the place really well without going into the details. I watched it being built, the nuclear power plant. It's 40 miles north of New York. They're saying the planes are coming down the Hudson River. I said, if they hit that nuclear power plant, you're going to see chaos like you've never seen before. I said, get your money out of the bank. I called up. I had CDs. Back then, they used to have certificates of deposit. We actually got interest rates on things. I said, <laughs> I want that money transferred to my bank in, in Rhinebeck. Mr. Salenti? We cannot transfer it. Certificates of deposit are traded on Wall Street and it's closed. Yeah. I couldn't get my money. Yeah. I went into town. I bought jerry jugs, five-gallon jugs, filled them up with gas. Got my gold, guns, and a getaway plan. I had picked out maps. In those days, I had maps. And I was finding back roads to Canada. I'm about four and a half hours from the Canadian border where I am. Yeah. And I knew that they would close down the main roads. So I got, I had back roads I was going to take. This is what I'm doing as everybody's freaking out on 9-11. I had an escape plan. I called it GC's three G's, guns, gold, and a getaway plan. Because I figured if they blow up Indian Point, there's going to be chaos. It's going to be like we've never seen. And I've got to get out of here. So I'm going to take the back roads and then sneak my way into Canada. And from Canada, I could get out of here and go anywhere. Yeah. And true. I'm telling people, you better plan for the worst. Because if the worst doesn't happen and you plan for it, you lose nothing. But if the worst happens and you have not planned for it, you lose everything. Yes, that's right. That's right. And we've seen that, you know, preppers used to be mocked all the time until two years ago. Uh, and then the people who had started to think about uh, what they should do 
uh, started to look a lot wiser. You know, when you're talking about taking away FDR, taking away the gold, I remember H.L. Uh, Meekin said, well, you know, a year ago, I had if I had a hip flask of alcohol in my pocket and a gold coin, yeah. the gold was legal and the alcohol was illegal, and now it's the other way around. Now the alcohol is legal and the gold is illegal. In other words, it's all just arbitrary. You know what they've done yeah. is they've kind of twisted this, seems like, you know. Now we've got, you know, the pot is legal that's in your pocket, uh, but they're going to make the cash illegal soon. That's right. Uh, that's really what they're going to do. I mean, you know, things don't really change all that much. They kind of rhyme <laughs> As the history repeats, it kind of rhymes with it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so we're going to come into some hard times. So you're going to need to have your alcohol in your pot to keep you pacified, they think. Just like the Russians had their vodka, they could, you know, drink themselves into oblivion and not have to pay any attention to the reality. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons that we're seeing this this type of uh, switch as well. Yet another one of these uh, indicators of, of what they're trying to do to pacify any resistance for what they have uh, planned, so um, it, it's not just uh, it's not just gold and silver and crypto, but we're also going to see a lot of people are predicting an explosion in commodities. You've been predicting that as well, uh, because Russia has got so many, you know, yep. such a such a large landmass. They're a big player in so many different commodity uh, things. So so talk about that. I mean, uh, you know, what what does somebody do uh, if they want to uh, you know get involved in commodities? You know, what what is uh, uh, well, you know, again, you, know, you play the markets. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't give financial advice. You know, let me tell you how I made my money. You know, I was a chief government affairs specialist mm -hmm. for the chemical industry. I was killing environmental legislation at the height of the environmental movement. <laughs> at 28 years old, I'm staying at the Willard Hotel in D.C. and putting my meetings on at the Hay Adams. I wouldn't know what I know if I wasn't on the other side. Anyway, I started growing up, you know, and that's when I quit. But what happened was. The Iran conflict was going on and Jimmy Carter came back. I'll never forget. In those days, it was a big deal. And the president went overseas and they had, you know, the helicopter and they salute the guys all dressed up in the military drag. And he and, and Carter announces that the Shah is the island of stability in the Middle East. He just come back, him and Rosalind for spending <laughs> New Year's with the Shah. Yeah. And the Bronx we used to say BS has its own sound. I said, this is a load of crap. I'm watching millions of people taken to the streets. And that's the other thing people forget. It was America that radicalized that. Oh, yeah. They wanted to get the shot out of there, but America radicalized it. Anyway. That's right. So as everybody's learning to hate Iran without knowing how the CIA and the MI6 overthrew the democratically elected government back in uh, 1953 and Standard Oil and... BP, better known then as Anglo-Iranian oil, they had no right. They didn't want, how dare they, they nationalize the oil and say it belonged to the Iranian people. That's when they overthrew it. But anyway, so as everybody's hating the Iranians, I said to myself, what would be the implications? Now I'm going back to the late 70s. And I said, gold and oil prices will go up. I started playing the futures market. $5,000 bet I turned into almost three quarters of a million dollars. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, and that was a lot. That was worth a lot more back then. <laughs> and just to show you, I'm out of my mind. I'm, you know, 32 years old at the time. And um, I ended up losing most of it. I ended up with about 120000 but that's when I quit my job. And that's when I began 
it was Carter, what he said, that's what made me begin to become a trend forecaster. Mm. Looking at the current events forming future trends, where we are, how we got here and where we're going. And that's when I began the Trends Research Institute. You know, I have a but, similar, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Oh no, but anyway, so going back, if you want to play the markets, it's a gambler's game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, and it's like you know, in terms of um, it's a difficult thing to do commodities because I tried to uh, do that before and I lost a lot of money doing that. Uh, you know, do, <laughs> do do you do you get into the commodities things because then that's the futures and that's very complicated. Do you, do you buy stock in these mining companies and these stock in these mining companies? Uh, a lot of times you got to buy it uh, in foreign exchanges and there's tremendous amount of overhead getting in and getting out of a stock and you know yeah. it's just a it's a difficult thing to do. I don't think uh, really. Uh, the the average person really has kind of the the background or the knowledge or the expertise or even the connections to really to really do that. So probably you know gold and silver and things like that. How, how is silver doing? I haven't looked at the price of silver. Silver's not doing great. It's yeah. not doing great. You know, I thought it would go higher, but it's not. Tell me what you said. You had a similar experience to mine. You were going to say what happened well, to you? Well, I was in college. I was in engineering, and there were a lot of Iranian students that had come over to USF and were taking engineering classes. And then they were doing these uh, protests, Gerald, where they were out there protesting the Shah of Iran. And yeah. and they and I, I talked to them and I asked them why they were wearing ski masks, you know, balaclavas and everything at the time because that was unusual. I mean, we didn't have NFA at the time, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So it's like, why are you guys wearing this kind of stuff out here? And, Tampa, you know, and uh, so they started telling me about what was going on. They said, well, we don't want our picture, you know, they're taking our pictures and they're going to come against our families back yep. in Iran. And so we want to keep our identity secret. I said, what? You know, they said, yeah, we've got this secret police, the Savak, and they've been trained by the CIA. And it's like, no, really? Right. You know, and that was my <laughs> that was my awakening at that point. You got woken up financially. I got woken up politically that, uh, wait a minute, are we the bad guys here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I started looking as to what the overall history, like you said, going back to the 50s, where they did the coup to take out uh, what the guy's name, Mossadegh or something Mosadag. like that. Yeah. Mossadegh. Mossadegh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that that was my um, wake up call. You know, I, I had my head buried in the books, but I started paying attention to politics at that point in time. And uh, especially because it wasn't too long after that that you had the big explosion with the Ayatollah and all the rest of the stuff after they were, like you said, they were radicalized. Uh, but we yeah, taught them to do that. Yeah, we taught them to do that, you know, just like we yeah. had Gina Haspel torturing people and taking the, the data and using that to lie about weapons of mass destruction, you know? Yep. Same people. No, so talking about the history, let's talk a little bit about the history of Ukraine. And how the government was overthrown by the Obama administration back in 2014. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Um, this is the Trends Journal back in, this is our um, 2015 issue. It was the spring. In early February 2014, a recording was leaked of Assistant Secretary of State for European Affairs, Victoria Nuland, telling Jeffrey Pyatt, the, UN, the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, that the U.N. was on board to, quote, help glue the plan to replace Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych with her exne Yatsenyuk. Quote, Yats is the guy, end quote, Nuland informed Pyatt who had urged her to move quickly because the Russians 
will be working behind the scenes to torpedo the deal. By the way, when I'm reading to you, what she said, this was recorded. They hacked into her cell phone when she's doing this. And so Yats is the guy Newland informed because, and then uh, Pyatt who urged her to move quickly because the Russians will be working behind the scenes to torpedo the deal. F you, that's not what she said. She actually said the word to the EU. Newland told Pyatt exactly he responded. Shortly thereafter, Yanukovych was overthrown and Yats became president. Ukraine agreed to Newland's demand to make, quote, a new deal with the IMF, which is, quote, necessary for the long term economic health of the country. Yet the new Western leaning Kiev government did not respond to Russian-speaking Ukrainians in the, in the um, East and South who voted Yanukovych into office. One year later, this is when we wrote this, Ukraine is racked by civil war and in depression. The US and EU blame Russia for the destabilization because of the support of the Ukrainian separatists. And as punishment, the US pushed the EU to impose trade sanctions against Russia Russia retaliated with trained sanctions against Europe. Newland's call went viral at the time and the US blamed Russia for tapping the line and Newland kept her job despite criticism from world leaders like former German Chancellor Angela Merkel. Okay, nobody yeah. talks about this. That's right. This is all in the Trends Journal. So now I wanna make what happened clear here. The United States overthrew the government. Victoria Newland, you know who her husband is? What? No, I don't Robert remember. Robert Kaplan. Yeah, okay. Okay. A neoconservative. Yeah. The war party. Yep, the war party. That's right. So this is this is what's going on now. People don't know the history of what happened there. And they did not Russia did not invade Crimea. It's a total lie. It was reported as that two days ago in CNBC. They had their fleet was in Crimea. Crimea had a vote. Over 80% of the people turned out to vote. 90, over 95% voted not to be part of Ukraine. Yeah. And Crimea was only part of Russia, what, since about 1735? Yeah, I talked about that at the time. I remember I said, yeah, hey, they've been a part of Russia as long as America's been around. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, you got Ben Wallace out there who's uh, hurling all kinds of insults and saying, yeah, the Scots Guard, uh, you know, defeated uh, the Russians in the Crimea War back in 1853. And we'll do it again. And it's like, well. You ain't the same people, number one. <laughs> number two, uh, you know, that you just admitted that, you know, Crimea has uh, been a part of Russia because he's talking about the czar and all the rest of the stuff. And it's like maybe when you go back and you start talking about the history, you might ought to uh, think about the consequences of what you're really exposing here. And that is the lie that, uh, you know, they, they took Crimea from him when it's predominantly been Russia all that time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and here's the other part. If this little boy, he wants to go fight. Anybody that's for, for fighting Russia, join up, pick up your gun, and go fight. 
Yeah. Don't send everybody else. You send yourself, you send your wife, and you send your kids. You go. Or yeah. else shut your damn mouth. That's I right. want peace. And the person I think of when I think about that is Lindsey Graham. You know, he loves to tell us that he's in the National Guard. Or whatever. Well, go put your oh, uniform yeah. on and you go fight because there hasn't been a war that he doesn't want to send you and your kids to fight and die in, but not one that he's going to go to. I mean, look at, look, look at that slob Bernie Sanders is shooting his mouth off, too. Oh, yeah? Can you imagine that guy getting in a fight? These are the kind of guys when I grew up, you know, he was from Brooklyn. I was in the Bronx. These are the kind of guys who used to get in fights. When they get nasty with you and they try to give you crap to you, these are little cowards. They're little cowards. They want to go to war, go lead the charge. Yeah, that's right. And what would, what would else did this guy say about the, what were you saying that he said about? The, about about what now? I'm sorry. Oh, Ben Wallace. Oh, yeah, Ben Wallace. He's the uh, defense minister of the UK. You know, he's throwing out all kinds of, we'll take care of them, you know, and uh, they don't have a chance. He, he said, uh, my favorite one was he said that Putin had gone full Tonto. I thought, what are we talking about here? Uh, and then it was, right, so, that, that was a reference to uh, the Lone Ranger in Tonto. <laughs> just, yeah. just calling him a stupid follower. I don't know who the, who the stupid follower is in this conversation, but I, I think it probably is Ben Wallace. <laughs> so here's what we do. If that's what they believe, I believe that Mexico should get back Texas and Arizona, yeah, and and uh, uh, what what else? The California, right? right. And that's that right. was Mexico's. The United States stole it from them, yeah. not a long time ago. That's right. So if you guys are saying this crap, go back, Mexico, take take over Texas, take over uh, take over get get Arizona back, get get California, all the places that the United States took from you. It's yours. And I think we let Russia put missiles in Cuba, right? Because that's essentially what we're talking about here. Uh, there are four bases in Ukraine and in uh, Georgia. Uh, you know, that was that was what they were concerned about with the Cuban Missile Crisis. You can't put those missiles right. that close to us. Well, you know, if we're going to, you know, play that game with NATO, let's just reciprocate and say, okay, we're going to we're going to go into Ukraine and into Georgia. We're going to make them NATO, but you can uh, put your missiles in Cuba. How about that? You know, yeah, <laughs> they're yeah, not right? going to do that. And that's what people forget: the Cuban Missile Crisis yeah. was that America had, you know, missiles aiming. They were in Turkey and in Italy, mm -hmm. shooting in that could have hit Russia. Yeah, and then right. Russia, did, Russia said, pull these things out of here. And and it was Kennedy was smart enough to say, okay, we got a deal. That's right. Yeah. We pull yours out of Cuba. We pull ours out of Turkey. Okay, fine. That's right. Yeah. You know, I'll never forget that. I was in the tenth grade, and I remember it. And I was so surprised that our history teacher wasn't talking about that. What happened that day? Yeah. They never talked about it. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It really affected me because I was in elementary school and I was, uh, you know, we're in Florida. And and they had us taking extra clothes to uh, uh, to our elementary class and, and having us do these duck and cover drills. Remember that? You know, keep yourself <laughs> safe. And, and having us sticking our head in the uh, in the metal uh, side of the desk. You know, I, I said, uh, uh, you know, we used to. That was a a big deal when you were in elementary school. And I used to still talk to my friends about uh, that as we got a little bit older. Uh, you got into junior high school, and we're talking about that and. And I said, so what was that about? Was that so they could uh, 
at least have some dental records maybe left over so they could figure out what's the point of sticking your head in a metal desk? I mean, it was crazy, but it it really was. And again, these are the same, but these are the same lunatics that made up the crap stand six feet apart. Yeah. Social distance. That's right. Put on a mask. Yeah. Put up that plexiglass. Make sure when you bring things in your house, wash them down because the virus will get you. These are the same idiots that had us hiding on the desks. I went, I grew up during the worst of it. Mm-hmm. I, I, as a little kid, as a little kid, every time I'd see an airplane, I was scared to death. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And now they got the kids all messed up. They're going to be scared to death. Yes. And then these kids that have followed this, that have, these are going to be the next leaders. Yes. And they're going to, so they're going to put more and more dictatorial demands because they lived with them. They did it to us. We're going to do it to you. We're going to even do it more. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I grew up as a small child looking at these uh, black and white films where they, you know, they had the uh, uh, replicas of the types of homes that we lived in and mo- uh, mannequins that were standing around. And then they explode the atomic bomb and you see them yep. blowing everything yep. back and forth. And, and it's like, what? You know, and, and so you grow up looking at that. But I think this stuff that they're doing to these kids now with the masks is even more damaging in a psychological way. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, because they're, they're living through this. They Psychologically, they can't read people's emotions. It's putting a distance between them and each other and other, other people. It is profoundly affecting them, I think even more so than the kind of stuff that we were looking at, the fear of a, of a nuclear war or something like that. I think this is even more present and, and continuous and up close in their lives and persistent than that was that kind of fear. And then also that kind of distancing from other people it, they really are damaging these kids, not just physically, but psychologically. Oh, I well. agree with you a hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. You know, before you said people aren't wearing, they're still wearing masks up here. Yeah. Mm. I people walking down the street, not a soul on the street. It's snowing out and they got masks on. Oh, wow. That's a shame. Yeah. Well, yeah they're still freaked out up here. Mm. Does he go into I went, I had to go this morning. I, I went to Hannaford's because I could need to do my papers. And there's a sign on, put on your mask. We have demand a mask. Go to, I went to a restaurant last night, had to walk in with your mask. But of course, as you know, when you walk in with the mask, <laughs> when, when you sit down, the virus doesn't hit you with table length. You know, that. that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I believe me. I, I, I have to move because there's not anywhere I can go to eat anymore because I've had it out with these the local restaurants so much over the masks a uh, year and a half ago. Uh, it, it was just insanity. And, and I would it's talk, I, I would talk, I would say, let me talk to the uh, owner. And I talked to them. I'd say, you know, that this doesn't make any sense that I've got to wear the mask to walk five feet to set a table. Then I can take it off for two hours. It's the rules. You got to do the rules. It's, it's the like, rules. okay, well then they're, we're fine because you'll never see me again. I'm not going to support a quizzling business owner who is cutting their own throat, you know, selling the, the rope that'll be used to hang them as Lennon said. And that's exactly what they were doing. Just, just quizzlings playing along with all of this, this nonsense. Uh, just sad to see what has happened in, in the last year, but there are some places, Gerald, you know, where, where that's yep. not happening. Uh, yep. But it, it is bad that that's happening in upstate New York. Uh, I, I just want to say thank you for coming on. It's been great talking to you. Um, I, and I, you know, we're going to be, again, you saw this coming. And uh, I, like you, I'm a bit surprised that he went further than just those two areas that have been at war for, yeah. uh, for eight years. And I, I feel that's a, a bad harbinger of uh, escalation. So 
Uh, we'll be watching this, but the, the words that you had to say about how you've got to have your plan, uh, you know, about uh, mobility, a getaway plan, your gold, and the rest of this stuff, uh, that is uh, pure wisdom. And so people need to listen to that. Again, Gerald Salenti, uh, trendsresearch.com, where you can find Trends Journal loaded with information. As Gerald said, uh, what was it, over 180 pages that you had about uh, the background of Ukraine and the rest of this stuff, this last uh, yeah. issue, yeah. a weekly issue. Thank you so much for joining us, Gerald. Thank you. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you. All right, folks, we're going to be right back. We're going to take a quick break. When I come back, I want you to hear this story about this California nurse, how she was injured, and uh, what she's going through. And one of the most important things about this is her talking about how many other people she keeps running into that are either injured themselves or have other family members or friends who have been injured. This is really spreading. This is what they can't cover up. This is why they're doing Ukraine. We'll be right back. The Common Man. They created Common Core to dumb down our children. They created Common Past to track and control us. Their commons project to make sure the commoners own nothing and the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. thedavidnightshow.com. to say thank you to uh, some other uh, people who've uh, left tips on Rockfan. Uh, Richard Badge, Badgebeck, I guess, uh, $5. Thank you, Richard. Rebecca Rose Newton, $5. Thank you, Rebecca. I've seen your name up there many times. Uh, Big Brains, 3000 TRN, uh, $5. And he says, check out superu.net the broadcast as well. All right, we will. Uh, there's a lot of different places that we'd like to uh, broadcast. We're just having problems right now with our our, our uh, bandwidth is, is so low. We're having trouble getting up our archives uh, to the four video channels that we put up, uh, BitChute, uh, Odyssey, YouTube, and uh, Rumble. But um, if we can get moved and um, you know we have a place that we're looking at that has uh, fiber, uh, we'll be able to do that type of thing. Uh, before we run out of time, I just want to go over the story of this nurse, and it's important that we do that. I give you the statistics. I talked about the German insurance company saying, hey, look, we're talking about we got a database of 11 million Germans, and this is alarming. This is completely different from what you're talking about. We're looking at about uh, 13, 14 times the number of people injured with this, and we're just talking about the first half of 2021. We're not looking at the second half, which is where we would think that we'd see 
more of this happening. And, and so we can look at statistics like that. But as Stalin said, you know, a million people dying is a statistic, and yet one person is a tragedy. So we need to also look at the personal stories. This is a personal story of a California nurse, Krista, a career nurse, mother of three. Recent, until recently, she was healthy, 49-year-old, who used to run up to 30 miles a week, had no pain, was taking no medications. She said, I woke up every morning with the excitement of taking on a new day. For 25 years, she worked primarily in long-term care settings with elderly people, raised her kids in local public and private schools. More recently, she served in hospice. But last year, Krista received her second Pfizer shot. At that point in time, her health spiraled out of control. She said, my doctor knew it was a vaccine. He said, hopefully it'll go away, but it's never gone away. Instead, she has been plunged into a nightmare of symptoms and health problems her doctors could not explain. It's robbed her of her active lifestyle and of her job. She said, I'm fighting every day to live in gratitude, to be positive amidst the suffering. You don't know how devastating this has been. I'm a caged bird. It's really sad. She said, this is not just about losing your health. You also, I'm, it's your livelihood and everything else I want people to know I lost to this vaccine. The bottom line, I don't have enough time to uh, go into it, is that when she does have the energy to go to the store and she'll say something about it, invariably she'll find several people who have family members and friends suffering from the vaccine as well. They can't keep a lid on this, which makes it even more concerning that they're going to push for war to keep us all away from them. That's it for the broadcast. The Common Man. They created Common Core to dumb down our children. They created Common Past to track and control us. Their Commons Project to make sure the commoners own nothing and the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. thedavidnightshow.com.